<laughs> it's catching on. All right. Yeah, it is. So we thing. are uh, we are recording. So tell me why I, 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 did Tandy do that? Do, 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 do. So I think we're live. I think we're live. All right. So we're going to do it live. Coco Talk, episode 45. We'll be live in three, two. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer, with your host, Mr. Gameplay Goodness himself, Stevie Stroh. All right, and we are back for Coco Talk episode 45, live on the internet. We are here. We have compiled a cast of characters. We've got nothing but A-listers here today, folks. And we've even got a new member to the lineup here right now, which we'll get to in just a minute. But why don't we go ahead and start in clockwise fashion from my upper left corner. Uh, let's start off with Ron Delvaux from Ron's Garage. How are you today, Ronnie? Hey. Uh, <laughs> nothing like enthusiasm there and we have back with us we uh, we missed you david we had a little impromptu show last night and it wasn't the same without you but back with us lord of the floppy sir david ladd welcome back david good day everyone <laughs> there you go there's some mock enthusiasm and he's an apple, <laughs> he's an apple guy, and we don't hold that against Ooh. him. And he lover of <laughs> lover of cats, and yep. uh, and all things retro. Please welcome to the show, Mark Overholzer. Hey, Mark. Thank you. Thank you very much. Living legend, video game designer, hardware software guru, and snappy dresser from sunny <laughs> Southern California. Mr. Steve Bjork is with us. Uh, it's beautiful out here. Spent the entire day yesterday in the sun down at Disneyland and had a great time. Beautiful. Uh. And new to the program, bearing some type of biological um, resemblance and even bearing the last name of another member of our show. But I believe what we have right now for the first time is we have Ken. Ken, make it. Brother of the Cocoa Man. Uh, the better-looking and probably more successful, financial, and more well-endowed Ken Rygert is with us here today. How are you, Ken? Well, at least one of those is correct. <laughs> uh, one. <laughs> I'm not sure what else I have to add to the show. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a cocoa, you're a cocoa nut, and you're related to this nut over here. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, and so Ken is here. The Coco man himself, Jason Reigert, is here. How are you, Jason? I'm I'm doing well. Doing well. Are you doing it live? Oh, yes, indeed. We're doing it live. And last but certainly not least, 
from down under another legend in the trs80 community uh handsome gentleman and maker of fine quality games mr nick morentis has joined us today nick how are you good day good day everyone yep good day good day we have joining us in the live chat already one of the first persons to chime in in the live chat a few minutes before we went live was Disney Saints fan was here saying, looking forward to the show. First time I was able to watch the show live. Steve Powell says, looking forward to today's show. Uh, Curtis Boyle is joining us now. Norlander is saying, hi all. Tim Franklin <clears throat> says, hello folks. And Richard Cavell, our friend in the UK, says, hello everyone from St. Anne's in the northwest of England. So we've got a star-studded international cast. Speaking of stars and studs, uh, Curtis Boyle has just joined us. <laughs> Sorry I'm late. Now Skype's acting up. Ah, you got to love a Microsoft product, right? Um, yeah. yeah we, we, will, we will get to talking about the uh, Coco Crew podcast, but another one of us has been immortalized um, by being on the big show. The major leagues being on the Coco Crew podcast as an interviewee, none other than our lovely and talented Curtis Boyle. So thanks, thanks for taking time from your celebrity dumb to join us today. I wish that that was why I was late, but that's not <laughs> got 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 uh, cornered signing autographs on your way back, right? So <laughs> no, 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 no. He's on Canadian time. <laughs> yeah, hey? we're kind of lackadaisical laid back here. Yeah, he's, he's got was, a... my, my tongue was frozen to a pole. So. <laughs> there you go. Those metric clocks, you know. <laughs> you guys already screwed up the temperature. You're messing up time now, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this week in Coco, what happened? Well, the Coco Crew podcast um, dropped, as we say. Uh, our own Curtis Boyle was interviewed. A lot of news. Uh, we did hear a nice segment about um, about the uh, John Linville's sound cartridge, which was pretty cool. Hearing some of the music I thought was good. And then we saw a really cool game review, or we heard a good game review that I was hoping to um, create a video companion to, but I, I don't have the disc yet to do it, so we'll, we'll try to plan that maybe for next week. But Neil um, Blanchard talked about a cool Dragon Coco game that was called Sky Kid. Was that the name, Curtis? Super Kid. Super Kid. Super Kid Sky Kid. I knew it was something like that. And it sounds like it's a platformer. I haven't seen it, but hearing the uh, digital speech and hearing the music on it and stuff, it sounds like an interesting title. So I'm looking forward to playing that game and doing a review on that game too and trying to get some, some tie-ins between the stuff that appears on their podcast. Maybe we can do a video, um, a video piece to that. Well, video follow-up on, on a Game Player's Corner there with Neil is a good idea, I think, because yeah. there being an audio-only podcast, and of course mm -hmm. games are usually visual, <laughs> it'd be kind of nice to have the companion piece afterwards. We let Neil do the review on their show, and then a week or two later, we kind of do a follow-up with Neil mm -hmm. and uh, kind of play the game live, and then people can see what they're hearing. Yeah. I've done Text Adventures in Braille. Have you done that before? Uh, no, but I have done the scratch and sniff one. <laughs> you say games are usually visual. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yes, name a game that's not visual. <laughs> uh -huh. so. 20 questions. Yes, yes. So, and hey, pursuit. Nick Moroda is here. So, Ken, we're going to put you on the spot. And um, oh, no. tell us a little mini, you know, little mini history of what you did with a cocoa when a cocoa was new. Maybe touch on what you're doing now for a career, otherwise, and then if you're doing anything now in the retro hobby with a real computer emulator, 
maybe share that with us. Is that okay for short notice? Welcome to the program, Ken. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry I'm here to bring down the show, but uh, <laughs> some of the some of the we'll origin judge you, you later. Okay, good. <laughs> some of the origin you probably know because uh, Jason's probably related to you. I mean, one, I believe, Christmas we got for Christmas a Color Computer Two package that included uh, a Coco Two, a tape cassette drive, a little tiny printer. And uh, I think bust out in the two Black Beauties. Ooh! So it was—I think it was a special sale they had or something. It was 16K standard color basic. And a while later, after we was looking through, uh, got one of those TRS-80 microcomputer <laughs> news magazines that they gave a free subscription to. That I couldn't type in the programs that was in there because it was in extended color basic. Right. So I had to beg for the 64K slash extended color basic update, which we did get. And we had to uh, wait, I don't know, a week for them to send it away and do the magic. I... Ah, yes, yes. They took it so, much longer. They took it to the tree where the Keebler elves work. <laughs> Absolutely. Or the, the shoemaker elves were there and wondering what the hell they were doing making computer stuff. But that's mm. another story. <laughs> so as I, I grew up, playing with the computer we eventually trs80 microcomputer news when it went out of business we got a get two issues and we could pick the magazine to pick and we fortunately picked the rainbow which was probably the best of them i don't really know i haven't really read any of the other ones so they came and went uh so then i spent a lot of my free time programming in basic uh helping my dad with a statistical program that he used for uh at work, he was using it to uh, get the statistics to uh, um, calibrate some of the machines. He worked in the hematology department at the hospital. Um, eventually, I s- submitted a entry to the fourth Rainbow Adventure contest that went, went nowhere. I did not win. Place, show, and they may have laughed me out of the building. I don't know. <laughs> Eventually, I did get, if you remember in the rainbow, there was the novices niche. You remember that little where they had put yep. the shorter programs? I, re- I eventually got a small game in that in, uh, it was probably 1990. So, and then I published three more games uh, that I wrote home from college one year in the death throes of the rainbow. If you remember the newspaper tabloid format. And a couple of programs because... Jason, being the more social of us, he had made friends with uh, Frank or Fred Swigger. What's the guy's name, Jason? You're muted, Jason. It was it was it was Frank Frank, Frank. Swigger of Farnes Systems down in Georgia. Yeah, World of Six to Eight Micros. Yes, and I right. published and had a couple games in uh, some early issues of that, and then I just sort of drifted away because that was before the internet was big and the community was going. <laughs> I mean, that was all. Uh, there's, and I didn't have the, the means to like travel to the Cocoa Fest or anything. Rainbow, well, Rainbow Fest had been over by then, so that's where it is. That's my history of it. I grew up with the thing. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> currently, uh, yeah, that, that's the one right there. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> currently, I work as a software developer. Right now, I'm working for a steel processing company, writing some of their. ERP software, 
and I've worked for yeah, several years in the computer industry. So, what uh, programming environment do you, you do you use now in the real world on modern stuff? What we're working on right now is a Windows app using Windows Forms in uh, .NET and using uh, C Sharp as our language and a SQL Server database. So, cool, cool. And are you doing anything retro now with a real Cocoa or an emulator, anything like that? Well, Jason was kind enough to get me a copy of Forest of Doom, so I die in the Forest of Doom on occasion in, with an emulator. <laughs> <laughs> he also, as he mentioned uh, yesterday, that he found some of my old uh, discs with some of my things I've written in, the, in my youth on there. And I'm thinking of just putting those out there, so if anyone in the community wants to see how bad uh, my juvenile work was... Yeah. They're mostly the ones that didn't get published. I think there's three adventure games, one being the uh, aforementioned entry into the fourth rainbow contest. Okay. A couple of, one I wrote before just to learn how to do it. And another one I wrote after probably for the fifth rainbow adventure contest that never happened. <laughs> now, back in the days when you got your first color computer and it had that beautiful color basic, standard color basic, and you worked with it for a while, right? Uh, how long? Uh, months before you upgraded? Yeah, it was probably months. Probably the most frustrating thing for you, and the thing that you said was the best command they had to extend a basic, was the edit command. So you didn't have to oh, keep retyping lines. Oh, oh yeah. so much because we, oh, yeah. we had a book that uh, that uh, we bought. It was like TRS-80 color computer programs, and we would type them in there, and if you messed up a long line and you had to type the whole bloody thing over yep. again. So that was the best thing they ever did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was a great typing tutor in that way, I guess, because you get lots of practice, but <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I have lots of practice, but I still don't type properly because I learned it wrong. <laughs> yeah. <I> was a <laughs> kid. Very cool. So what, what is your emulator you're running force on doom of forest of doom on right now? Uh, right now I'm just running VCC because that's the quickest and easy to get sure. running, but, Sure. What is the best color computer three emulator? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just open okay. a can of worms. You can there. start wars with that one. <laughs> yeah. What's the best MC ten emulator? <laughs> really, a block of wood, that probably one. right. Yeah. Yeah. A large rock. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I will give I will give VCC the credit there that it's it's it is a plug and play emulator. Uh, you can launch it and you can run stuff. Um, Most it, stuff. And, yeah, yeah been, go ahead. Yeah, I've been trying to get uh, Mame up and running, and I think I got it. I'd like it better when Mess was split from Mame because I did mm, use it yeah. several years ago, and it was seemed like it was easier to use when Mess was split from Mame to me. I agree. And I played with it a few years ago, and then came back to it. So I have, re and I kind of revisit again when I stumbled across uh, Steve's videos and going, "Hey, I remember seeing that game." Yeah. Yeah, Ken, you've been you've been commenting on my videos for a while before we ever met. I just remembered the name, so I think it's funny that I've I, I I had you doing lots of comments. I met your brother first, and now I'm meeting you. So I don't know. Which actually brings up a question I have: uh, How do you, how do you deal with all the mental anguish of being related to your brother? <laughs> well, first of all, I live 200 miles away. Oh, that's I a thought good start. you guys were in the same house. You got the same paneling back behind both of them. <laughs> <laughs> we have coordinated oh. our genuine imitation faux wood paneling. <laughs> yes. no, are you both the in same... the basement? I know one of you are. 
I'm in the basement because my house, it is really hard to find someplace quiet enough to have a conversation like this. <laughs> so I've, I've retreated to the rather messy basement with a card table and a laptop. So. And the 70s paneling. Yes. The 70s. Well, you should have seen it before we replaced it with this. Wow. They had, there was dark paneling that they had didn't like, so they painted it with texture paint. It was awful. I thought you were going to say it had shag carpet walls or something. <laughs> no, the sh I, I'm sure it no! had shag carpet at some point, but that was already removed when we bought the house. So. Now that that's in his van. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you that shag carpet. I prefer great to call it the shagging wagon. Recordings. <laughs> uh, we got a couple people joining us in the live chat right now. John Linville says uh, VCC runs stuff that even. Uh, that doesn't even work on an actual Coco 3. <laughs> that is true. And then we have somebody called Supwitcha11 says, Greetings from Southern California. Uh, welcome, Supwitcha. Uh, Why aren't you outside playing? Yeah, right? <laughs> from the high desert area of Victorville. Welcome, Sup Subwitcha. Uh, so, yeah, we're glad to have you here, Ken. Uh, it's uh, it's all family here. It's a good times. Uh, John Linville's here. John Linville, host of the Coco Crew podcast, which we'll we'll get to talking about today. Uh, Alan Huffman has now joined us. Hello, Alan Huffman of Sub Etha Software. Greetings, everybody. Love the shirt there. The I'm a coconut shirt. I love it. Nothing like product placement. OG Stevie Stroh has independently changed all of the fashion sense of the Coco community. For <laughs> the better. <laughs> or the worst. <laughs> okay. And he's feeling my caffeine addiction too. Yes, and you know, using my I'm uh, my I'm a coconut cocoa talk bug here. So yeah. So might as well be a shameful plug here. If you'd like to get some of our official unofficial cocoa merchandise, you can go to 8bit256.com for all your retro merchandise needs. That was Ken holding up his invisible mug there. So <laughs> yeah, it's um. It's interesting how, you know, almost everybody here who I'm talking to now, a lot of these people, I met through posting videos on YouTube. So that's how I met Curtis. Curtis and I have become, you know, mortal enemies since then. Um, I'm not uh, sure he's winning yet, but. <laughs> and, and and a handful of the interviews that we've done uh, have been because the, the author of the game came across a video and, you know, commented. And, of course, we responded and saying hey we'd love to we'd love if you'd like to share some stories with us um so a lot of interesting things have happened by just putting stuff on youtube you know so it's been kind of cool and how we're all together here and we're here every week and you know i just think there's something cool about if we have something in common something that we enjoy something we like talking about it just kind of brings us together and, and keeps us together it's it's cool stuff uh, anybody have any, uh, and now also just so you know, cause I don't want to be redundant, um, for, for a first, um, last night we did a, a spontaneous live show on the, on the Facebook page, which is also being posted to YouTube. So Coco talk after dark number six, there's a lot of cool stuff in there that you're just going to have to watch. We're not going to rehash it, but Alan showed all the stuff he got in the mail. So Alan showed off his Wi-Fi receivers, his Bluetooth receivers. Alan later showed us how we could tell net into his cocoa through the internet, which was cool. And John Strong showed off a lot of his work in project, work in progress projects. So we got to see the 3D printer printing. We got to see a mini MPI case being put together. We got to see what the Coco SDC case looks like, a, a joystick design. 
So when you're done watching this train wreck of a show, we've got three more hours of train wreck for you to watch later on, which is our After Dark episode. So there's a lot of stuff in there that we won't rehash here today uh, for your information. And uh, on that note, Alan, anything else you want to add to all the interesting things that happened last night? <laughs> well, we continued playing with this stuff for probably an extra hour after I um, had Bill Noble connect and interact with me running an old program called ASCII Express, written by Greg Miller um, and Eric Gaverluck. Um, after that, I got in touch with Roger Taylor. He connected. He didn't have ASCII Express, so he went from his Coco on a Chip FPGA device, uh, connected to my color computer running ASCII Express, used that to download ASCII Express, put it on his virtual machine, and then I was able to connect back uh, to him. So we were doing some experiments back and forth. So we had several flavors of FPGA color computers connecting to real color computers, uh, Nitros, uh, Nitros 9, uh, Disk Basic, uh, Bitbanger, RS-232 packs. We had a, it was a good time. Cats and dogs living in harmony. <laughs> that is cool when you think about it. And... It's, it's technically impressive. At the end of the day, what are you actually doing? What you're actually doing isn't that really significant, but the fact you can is the cool part. What we liked about it is now, instead of like my grandfather used to do, when he wanted to get a file on his color computer, he had to go to his PC, download it from a website, copy it to an SD card, turn around, plug the SD card into his little color computer, then use the file. I mean, I, I can't imagine how our forefathers lived like that. When <laughs> today they can just type a command and get it directly on the machine. Uphill, both ways. <laughs> and hitting play on the cassette player. Oh! Uh, oh, wait, volume's too low. Oh, that, that gave a few shivers to a few folks. <laughs> yeah, that's like the modern nails on a chalkboard right there. I was listening to uh, cassette squawk, right? So... No, that was the most entertaining part, watching your screen slowly fill in and listening to the data. Okay, let, <laughs> oh, me, uh, yes. let me ask a question. This came up on one of the message boards 20 years ago, maybe longer. There was a claim made that in one of the original Star Trek movies that came out since 1980 that in the mix, some of the sound effects were sourced from a color computer cassette noise. Does anybody remember hearing somebody talk about that decades ago? Faintly, I, do we ever determine if there was? I don't know, but there was a guy that was part of the mailing list back then who was a studio musician who played on a lot of soundtracks. I can't remember his name. And um, he might have been the one that presented that information because he worked out in Hollywood and worked with people that, that did that. So there might actually be something to it. But if not, I'd like to start the rumor that in yeah. one of the Star <laughs> Trek movies, there's a Coco cassette. Go watch them all and report back. Okay. Now, this was in a message board 20 years ago, so I think people are still sitting there holding their breath waiting for the response, too, right? So I'm this not is... watching five. <laughs> no. Yeah. no. What? How, how, do, how was that explained last night? Somebody somebody eloquently explained what the... What the <laughs> who, who said that last night on what the, the titles for episode five and six were of the Star Trek movies? Was that you, Marco? Oh, yeah. Somebody said, like, uh, episode five was the search for cash, and the uh, episode six was the apology or something like that. I forgot who, who mentioned that. We're talking about Star Trek yeah. movies. So, Yeah, the internet has ruined so many things, though, because now people will actually post everything, and you can see the clips, and you can hear the sounds, and we don't get to speculate on things wildly anymore, so we have to come up with new things to speculate on. Right. right. Oh, oh by just the way... Remember 
just remember, all Trekkies, they say the same thing. The odd, excuse me, the even number of Star Trek films don't suck. Yep. There you go. Two, four, and six. That's it. Um, Nick Marota says, stop using grandfather and Coco in the same sentences. (laughs) And Sup Witcher says, is there a cure for this Coco following? The sickness has forced me to acquire a Coco 1, 2, and 3, an SDC, an MPI, printers, an MC10, ROM packs, out the wazoo. I have issues. Please help. Uh, is there a support group for <laughs> I think you come to the wrong place. We're nothing but enablers here. <laughs> yeah, the only cure is more Coco. Hey, just remember, uh, when it comes to nostalgia, it's usually about a 30-year cycle. So 30 years when you kind of like something, 30 years later you you kind of, hey, those were great times. I don't remember having such good times now as I did then. All right. It, right. it's, it's, it's stuff that's been analyzed by specialists that, you know, and, you know, for the Coco, 30 years, just about right. There it is. All right, well, we're going to take our first commercial break. So this is the time for everybody to uh, pause for the cause, you know, hit the restroom, refill your drink, whatever you got to do. We'll be back in about a minute or so. If you're, if you're watching live, feel free to hang out or go, go to the bathroom, do whatever you got to do. We'll be back. You are watching Coco Talk. Hey, have you got your Coco 3 yet? Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Rom and Shanghai, and you've tuned into Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Hi. Hi, I'm Mike Rowan, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. And when you're done watching, come over and listen to the Coco Crew podcast. Hi, this is John Linville. And Neil Blanchard. We are the Coco Crew. I hope you're enjoying watching Stevie Strode play video games, especially the Coco games. And when you're done with that, check out our podcast at CocoCrew.org. What's going on, everybody? Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here. And if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, then you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. There you will find custom designs by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. You can get I'm a Coconut, Coco Talk, and other cool video game images on a t-shirt, coffee mug, or mouse pack. So if you love retro, then head on over to the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com today. Tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. I cannot wait for that movie. Last night we were saying, what movies are we looking forward to seeing? 
<laughs> floppy floppy life is on the list. Right now that's there. a trilogy from what I understand, right? <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> really? Is it an auto refund? Is it a what? An odd or even one. <laughs> I think it's always odd with David, isn't it? Oh, this is the first one, so it's always odd with it David. It depends on if you're base zero or base one. Ah. That's true. Yep. Ep- episode zero. I did put a link <laughs> in the Skype chat uh, about uh, decoding Star Trek, the noises from Star Trek 4. Okay. All right, does anybody have uh, any project updates they want to go over before we get into our, our main... We have two topics today, so we're going to have... Uh, Nick, you've got a... Why did Tandy do that, right? Uh, a short one, yeah. A short one, and then I think Curtis has a little something technical to share with us. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> didn't you say something? You had you were going to show something off during the garage segment? Yeah, I said I could. If, if Ron uh, it has a short one, I can add a, a little bit to yeah, it. Yeah, so. I think Ron actually has no garage segment today, so you could be the garage segment. Okay. okay. Should I go to my garage then when I... Yeah, you know, it's completely up to you. So we have a, 20, but... We have a couple of segments. Our main. Uh, so we're going to talk about a little bit of reviewing of the Cocoa Crew podcast for those of us who got a chance to listen to it. Uh, we have a good, why did Tandy do that? Um, so, Curtis, you got a small tech segment. David, anything tech with you today? Ron's got an interesting. Uh, nope. What's what's that on Ron's screen? That paint program. <laughs> Ron's got Garfield no, up no, on no. the screen right now. Yeah, what but he's got the colors wrong. Yeah. Well, we also I'm going to review a bunch of stuff that was posted in Facebook this week too. So like the um, the, um, the 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 high res graphics adapt. There's a bunch of stuff posted in Facebook that we'll get to as well. Um, but just trying to get a feel for that. So. Uh, what do you guys want to? What do you guys want to do next right now? You want you want to talk about the Coco Crew and Curtis's interview and kiss his ass and all that good stuff? Yeah, yeah. All right. So so first off, Curtis Boyle, we are very uh, we're very honored. We are very honored to have you amongst us now. We have we have more elite royalty with us from Sir David Ladd now to um, to Lord Curtis Boyle. <laughs> <laughs> well, like like I told John, you know, they saved the the worst for last. So. <laughs> that was me. I gotta say, it was a good interview. Um, I like the way they do interviews. You know, it's just uh, there's no distractions. It's just gets gets right down to the brass tacks, and um, you can get to hear all kinds of cool things. And um, it was good. So good job for the Coco Crew. Good job, Curtis. Congratulations. I, I did find one thing interesting, which I didn't know. I, I never asked you guys when you guys got interviewed. Is that there's, there's they don't send you any questions ahead of time. It's just wing it right from the word go. So that was interesting. I thought I'd have to do a little bit of you know research or you know have a couple of base questions that they would email me ahead of time. So it was, it was a a little bit of a surprise. Ah, okay. I didn't know, David. What about you when you had your interview? Were you uh, you have any talking points ahead of time? Nope. Yeah. It was just covering, you know, you know. I I figured it was going to be the same, same stuff that when anybody interviews you, it's talk about yourself and, you know, then a focus on a specific current thing that you're doing. Which mm-hmm. for me at the time was all the floppy stuff that was going on, of course. And the floppy <laughs> talk, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask that they ask you about your upcoming movie or. Or whether it's accurate. <laughs> Very funny. Or the sequels. 
Yeah. Yeah, I actually wasn't sure um, what they were. <laughs> John Linville's in a live chat. He goes, preparations. Hmm, interesting idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't sure, so I had sent a little um, outline, just a little mini bio um, and some of my backstory and things like that, which I just had provided them. Um, and some yeah, of which was even true. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, but the interview came out good, and you know, there's there's a lot of people who know more about your history in, in OS nine and things like that. So they were definitely asked a lot of good questions and things like that. So it was good. Uh, yeah, Richard, having Boise on was quite good because he's the one we passed Nitrous nine two when I think I was the last of the the four original authors that was still working on it. I just didn't have time anymore, right. so I passed the torch, and now I'm kind of getting back into it. So it's kind of like the torch is expanding its reach like an Olympic torch or something. Yeah, and it almost feels like it might be coming around, you know. Um, well, he's still heavily involved. He's, he's he's not vacating it yet. No, but the fact that you're back in it, um, Bill's back in it. Yeah, are you going to get West back West in it? Might get back. Yeah, it sounds like Wes is uh, at least thinking of it. He's pretty busy with his job too. Alan, I think, is way too busy with his. He's he's got a family and stuff now too. That's kind of keeping him too busy. Right, 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 right. One of the things I do want to show off here real quick on the Coco Crew podcast is that they have. Um, They've updated their logo, you know, so that kind of passed around today. And I think this is the latest, greatest Coco Crew podcast logo here. And it looks good, right? So you got the three amigos. Um, and for the longest time, we were saying, well, when's Myro going to get put into the mix here? Because there was always the picture of John and Neil. That's, that's how the show started. So now we've got the, in fact, now we've got a Photoshop Boise in here doing a photo bomb because it seems like Boise's a bigger part of the show now too. So we'll work on that. But um, no, it looks good. So this is the latest um, Coco Crew podcast um, little logo thing there, which I think looks good. Um, we, we had talked about Curtis that, you know, we, we want to do the Nitrous 9 interview of, with you and Bill and... Um, and Wes to talk to talk to the people who created that project, and I, I know you touched on a lot of it, but I think that would be a good interview to do. And and I think we mentioned it to the Coco crew that would be good to have them in on it because, you know, usually you're my uh, guy to ask all the smart, hard hitting questions, and if I need to interview you, you know, then I'm lost. So we need somebody <laughs> else to um, who understands Nitrous Nine and the history to ask some of the questions. So I think that would be a great crossover um to have some of the coco crew and like boise and stuff in here when we talk about and i think that would be would make good like a multi-part interview where we talk about nitrous nine the original version and then we know it was transitioned and maybe we would do a follow-up interview with the people who worked on it post transition you know when it went to uh, yeah, open i mean source. The, the original nitrous nine has actually got two stages too there's me wes and then bill and then there was bill me and um, alan decock who came in okay and yeah kind of shook things up too so so yeah, so I think that I think that's I think there's more there's more to mine there on on the nitrous nine topic for sure, and you did talk I, I a little really bit about. I would really like to get an interview with Kevin Darling and some of the other people because a few of them have actually kind of rejoined you know the Coco on Facebook and stuff like Mike Holland. They're involved with the level two version three upgrade too because I'd love to get the expanded history of that and who all was involved, but that, that might be a bit harder to uh, arrange. Yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Uh, I'm going to go over the show notes real quick from the show, and you guys, guys, feel free to chime in uh, at any time if there was a segment that you that you liked. But um, so in our news segment, um, I'm just going to skim through here real quick. 
browser loading a web page from my Coco 3 running the improved HTTP daemon on the DriveWire Mac server. Yeah, so Boise's been talking about this for a while now, how he's running the, the DriveWire Mac server now, which has been a pretty good uh, project. And uh, Jim Gary releasing Meteor Storm. I mean, it's like, uh, when, when does Jim Gary not release a new game? They did talk about Brian Joyce's blog, the FD501.com. So Brian Joyce is working on a, a game project. And so we'll just go ahead and give uh, Brian Joyce a plug there right now. Um, yeah, so Bill the Judas. Bill is um, Boise's partner who created the Coco book. So, so Bill the Judas is uh, apparently going to be um, auctioning off his collection. And I I'm, I'm understand it's probably a, a, an impressive collection. Um, somebody has written a tool to help program in BASIC. Mike Rowan did his Game Master cartridge demo uh, part one. I did watch part of that demo, and I'm looking forward to more of that. Part two's out. Okay, is it out now? Forest of Doom Alpha is on the MC10. I think we saw a, a peak of that recently, too, when, 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 um, when Jim Gary was on the live stream with us. And um, so the host discussion was talking about um, cross-posting, uh, a.k.a. spamming. I was contemplating, do I want to add my two cents to that i think i'm going to hold off for now because at this for the sake of brevity um but maybe some other time we'll we'll visit that but i thought it was a good um it was a good host discussion and here to hear people's um point of view on that which i think was was mostly positive um good tech segment Did you guys hear the tech segment about the game master cartridge mm -hmm. and i really like listening to the music the music demo on there how you could really beat up the um the chip to get some nice werberly sounds out of the chip so it's not always the clean notes you know so um yeah. kind, kind of working that chip sound again and i love a percussion track you know it's one thing we're lucky to have music in the first place but if you can get music and percussion that to me that's like that's the whole package there so i loved hearing that um curtis boyle interview of course which was really good we have curtis here with us yeah and you can just skip that part Yep, yep, yep. Now, Neil brought up something that we talked about. I think it was a Coco Talk After Dark. Um, the the MC10 power adapter, right? We, we discovered, because I pulled mine out of the box and looked at it, so just to follow up on that, it, the output is actually AC. The adapter is not outputting DC. It's actually outputting AC, and it was 8 volts AC was the output on that, right? So uh, for those who <clears throat> weren't sure of the voltage or if anybody needs a replacement adapter, and of course, according to Neil, you can get the the NES, a generic NES adapter will work with an MC10 if you need that spare part. And then um, the Super Kid review, I I want to I want to find that game and I want to play it. So we'll we'll try to we'll try to plan that. Um, so that's kind of the quick highlights. But uh, anybody who listened to the podcast have any segment that kind of you know rung good with them or anything you want to add on to or just comment on? The Coco GMC, very cool. Yeah, you've got one, don't you, Mark? Yes, I do. You playing with it? No, not yet. I haven't assembled it. I'm running okay. behind on stuff. Yeah. It sounds neat, and I love sound. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah, sound in a game. Yeah. Neil's segment was good, too. I like it when you get to, especially I was, I was sitting here listening to Neil talk up this game. He's like, oh, man, this game is so good. It's got digital speech. It's got music that sounds like chip tunes and everything else. I'm like, Okay, but if that's all I'm going to hear, I'm going to be a little disappointed. And then two seconds later, he actually played the clip. I'm like, yes, yes, this is an audio show. Let me hear some audio. <laughs> and it rained upon me, and it was glorious. And so, yeah, and the uh, it sounds really good. So I'm really looking forward to checking out that clip. 
and playing a game. And I like I like Neil's reviews because they're like right to the point. He talks about it, he explains it, he gets in, he gets out. Unlike me, where I philanther flabbergast for hours on end. Um, Rage quit, I think it's called. <laughs> so uh, Neil does a nice, concise way of explaining it, um, talking about it, and wrapping the whole thing up. So good job, Neil. And um, Neil's inspired me to play a few games I had not even heard of before, like the Contras I had never heard of before, and hearing him talk about it inspired me to want to play that game, and so now I want to check this game out, so we'll keep that going. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to the collaboration video um, between the two shows after the the podcast is officially released, so people can have a follow-up with the actual video of the game and have Neil on, you know, kind of explaining things too. Yeah, if he's up for that, I'm not. I mean, I've extended that invitation. The offer's there. If he wants to do that, um, you know, I'm not he's sure. told me he's up for it. I just trying to get schedules to sync is the only issue at this point. Okay, well that's good. No, that'll be good. Um, like when we had Boise on talking about CMOC, it's nice to have somebody talking about a subject that adds some legitimacy to it. <laughs> yeah, actually knows what they're talking about. Yeah, it actually knows what they're talking it's, about. It's, yes. it's kind of not what our shows normally it's, uh, like, but. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, value add happens. Value add. Yes, yes. So good job, Coco Crew. That was episode 32. Uh, check out the Coco Crew podcast at cococrew.org. They're available on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn and other places where podcasts are found. I just saw something that John posted today, uh, something about SoundCloud. Now, I haven't seen SoundCloud yet, but SoundCloud, I guess, is another way where you can hear audio on the Internet. So that might be another place you can can consume the Coco Crew podcast. I'll have to check that out. Um, it's used by a lot of musicians, at like uh, non-professional musicians, some podcasts, people use it too. Right. right. Indie music. Yeah. Just Big. say, hey, another place. Get your get yourself out there. I think right. I even styled some of my stuff on there. I can't even remember. I've been on it a while. I would almost say that might be a form of cross-posting. <laughs> <laughs> I got a kick out of that. Um, I'll just I'll just say this much. You know, the whole topic was basically when it was posted on Facebook. My name was not mentioned, but it was like, yes, there's so many Facebook groups, and you know, there's a certain show that's posting in all of these Facebook. Uh, you know, certain show that will remain nameless that was posting in more than one group, um, and then um, of course when the Coco Crew talks about it, whose name do they mention? over and over again mine so (laughs) so yes at least the name was mentioned but um listen you got to promote it was a veiled secret it was it's a thinly (laughs) veiled oh oh john's saying it's a different coco crew on soundcloud it's a different one oh now my curiosity has been piqued Okay, so we'll have to check that one out. Uh oh, we're we gonna get a Coco Crew after dark by some chance. <laughs> Coco Crew on SoundCloud, so uh, we'll have to check that out. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think if you're a person who's trying to create content and that content is meant to be, for lack of a better term, a gift to the community, and you're trying to share it with communities, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. And I don't. The intention isn't bad, obviously. Uh, is it received as possibly? too much oversaturation of information, you know, your opinion may vary, but uh, you can't have too much of a good thing. And like what John was saying, it's, it's, a, it's a good problem to have when there's a lot of content being created and there's a lot of enthusiasm in here. And so I'd, I would prefer to focus on the positive rather than negative. If you're getting too many the, posts, scroll past it and move on, you know? The, the way I look at it is, is that if you have, first of all, you have to promote your own shows and you're promoting it to groups of, of many people. Now, the people that have been there for a while, of course, see this every week. And yeah, it can get a little tiresome. 
But you have, they have to realize that you've actually got new people joining the groups all the time who've never heard of or never seen either of the shows. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't see a problem with putting the advertisements there because otherwise they will never know they exist. They will never go listen to them or watch them. Right, right. And Facebook another, is very vapid, you know. Go ahead, Mark. There's another thing, there's another thing too. Uh, we've never done it with uh, Coco Talk, but you can pay and get played, you know, paid advertisements. I see them all the time pop up in my feed. Yeah, I've tried something. that. I've tried that. That's what they call boosting a post. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, when we did the um, Jerry Buckner interview for uh, Pac-Man mm-hmm. Fever, I boosted that post. I spent, I want to say, I don't know, $35. or not. I didn't spend a lot of money, but it was one of these things that's like, well, spend $35 and reach 70,000 people, you know? And I did that. As a matter of fact, that, that you, want, you want to talk about uh, a promotional fail. You know, um, Jerry Buckner... And Pac-Man Fever, I think these are two, well, let's just say, known names and known entities, especially if you're a fan of um, of 80s culture. And, and Alan Huffman was there, too, right? Alan's the one who actually kind of set up that interview. Um, you know, I had spent so much time planning and preparing. Um, you know, I had made a bunch of music videos for all of the different songs as teasers. <laughs> I was doing teaser clips. Um, I was posting in tons of different groups. I was trying to promote the hell out of the thing. I, I promoted the hell out of the thing for two weeks leading up to this because to me this was a fairly big event, you know. And I posted to dozens of different retro groups because I figured if you're in a retro group, you know what Pac-Man is. You've probably heard the song Pac-Man Fever. You might want to hear from the co-creator, right? And so I promoted the hell out of it manually, and I even paid for the Facebook uh, boosting to reach 70,000 people or whatever. And, you know, we got, I don't know, maybe two dozen people watching us live. And I just checked it today. I think to date it's gotten maybe 150 views. So, you know, even when you go overboard, it, it doesn't necessarily help the cause. Um, but all that being said, if you don't do everything you can, nobody's going to know. So, you, and I guess somewhere in the middle, you must find balance, right? So, Agreed. Right, so I've said my two cents on that. <laughs> uh, what, what's going on in the live chat right now? Uh, what am I missing here in the live chat? Let's acknowledge our viewers here at the moment. Uh, so there's been some discussion on ProComs and BBSing and so on. I do remember ProCom Plus. I remember using that one. And we're talking about different RoboBoard BBS systems. So handful of side conversations here in the text chat talking about RS-232s and and modeming and, and terminal programs. Uh, Supwitch is talking about a deck view. He could multitask and run a bulletin board on the P- yep. desk view. Okay. Richard Lorvieski is talking about an XT clone that he ran. All right. So yeah, we've got a whole bunch of um, we got a whole bunch of people talking about bulletin board st- systems and communications on the sidebar there. So hopefully we're yeah. Caught the up the there. big one there is Ribs, which was the Coco one that Ron Byler did, and it actually was FidoNet compatible, so we could actually communicate the Coco and OS9 lists. On the FIDO lists, anyway, and actually they would get the messages spread all over the world every night. That would, you know, the machines would talk to each other and start dispersing it. It was kind of like a mini internet. Yeah, yeah. And that was the main way most of us communicated back around that time. Yeah. Now I would imagine that's how my Cosmic Aliens game made its way around because I posted it to a local bulletin board, but it made its way around the country and it made its way at least as far north as Canada. So uh, probably a similar thing happened there. Uh, cool stuff. All right, so have we have we beat the Coco Crew podcast review to death? Anybody want to add to that? 
Perfectly good. I would definitely say if you have not listened to the Coco Crew, um, uh, make sure you do. I, actually, on the note of the Coco Crew, let's, I want to talk about two things, too, um, which leads into inspiration and which also leads into what I would consider to be um, community uh, contributions, right? So I'll, I just want to go on record by saying that the Coco Crew podcast is what got me interested in going to Coco Fest, which I've been to twice. And, and I think it's a great show, and I listen to it every month, and I believe – you know, if you love the if you love the Coco, you should listen to that show. So they were they were definitely an inspiration for me. Um, not only in wanting to go to Coco Fest, but they just keep the they keep the community alive, right? By talking about what goes on every month in the community. Now, one of the things that I noticed, uh, maybe it was last year or, or so, when when because we're talking about awards right now too for Coco Fest, like with these different awards and stuff. Um, one of the awards was really talking about, okay, well, who does the most to promote the color computer community? And and I and sometimes I hate these things, right? Because it's like, you, it, you how can you pick? Who's the best? Who's you know? It's 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 it's, a, it's a, such a slippery slope. And by saying one person is good, you know, you're automatically saying other ones aren't. You know, it's just it's almost like it's that Kobayashi Maru. But I I just remember uh, uh, something was happening where um, you know I I, I think uh, John Mark Mobley had gotten a, an award for his promotion of the club, which is you know rightfully entitled to. And and you know maybe if you also had promoted. Coco Fest, and, and especially somebody like the Coco Crew, who he arguably is the biggest um, biggest champion for Coco Fest. If they aren't acknowledged as being a um, a promoter of the event, are do, are you going to feel slighted? I guess yes. Uh, you know, you're going to feel slighted. I guess you know, depending on how you internalize that emotionally. But I think at the end of the day, wh- what is it really about when you're trying to promote an event? Is it about personal glory or is it about the event itself you know so when it comes to the topic or the 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 voting of who's the best community spokesperson or whatever that was you know what i mean it's 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 almost like really we should be looking at it as like we have people who are injecting enthusiasm and content to the community and just just be happy at the fact that we're all trying to promote coco fest don't worry about who's the best or the biggest at promoting coco fest if you think about it um, that's kind of how I think about it. So, I'll, you know, nothing I do is in, in the, um, in the search of glory, you know, personal glory anyways. Yeah. And the other, the other problem I had with that part of the survey was, is that, uh, they had the separate members of the Coco crew as individual votes for some of this stuff. And to me, it, it, it's like a show as a whole. I'm not going to pick one host versus another type thing. Yeah, it's hard. These are hard, these are hard choices to make. And, and, you know, it, it, like it, one of the topics was what was the most innovative new product, and when you have to choose between like Forest of Doom and Timberman, you know it's again it's it, these are like Sophie's choices now, <laughs> you know because <laughs> yeah. they're both so good. Um, so it's it's great to be recognized. It's definitely great to recognize the people who are putting in the effort and stuff. But I I feel like it's it's a bittersweet you know two sided coin. But by by acknowledging one. Are you de-acknowledging the others? You know what I mean. So that's well, that, that's the struggle I have with these things. Yeah, well, the the only problem. Thank you, though. It's just nice to be recognized, and and all of us have people that we look up to that have helped us out or get our attention. And to me, that's what it's what it's about is just acknowledging somebody that hey, thanks thanks for what you've been doing. Um, right. 
some of the terminology could be different. You know, what what is the favorite, you know, the most innovative? I'm not sure a color computer one text-based uh, program is innovative because that was something that was literally started 20 years ago. And if innovation means 20 years ago, but I might have worded this like, what's your favorite new hardware item, your favorite new software? And and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it, the The thing we have to try to avoid is the personal things that upset somebody who feels like they've been busting their butt over something and nobody bothers to tell them thank you because people just don't care about what they're doing. And that's been what's been going on for decades in all these little communities. Good point. Well, the, yeah, the other thing is on the on the hardware uh, nomination, because there's only two, it was just me and Brandon. And, and obviously, Brandon has a much more innovative uh, hardware. But I think they should have expanded it to hardware projects instead of I guess I guess they were trying to pick new commercial projects and I think it would be better if we just you know concentrate more on the project part because there's a lot of projects that could have been uh, nominated for it right for the award. and and right now I'm guilty of what I'm trying to avoid because now we're probably sounding like we don't appreciate the fact that this is even happening so <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, oh, it's no such, no I, I, th it's I think such it's, a, I think it's great to have the awards and I think uh -huh. that the, uh, you know the the uh, the the, the the different uh, categories are are good. I and, yeah, and, and yeah. of course everything can always be improved. It's it's yeah. always easy from from a distance to say this should be this this and yes, that. Yes, yes, but somebody has to own it and get it done, and it's yeah. done. And, so I, I, it's, yeah, overall, yeah. I think it's great. I think yeah, it's great. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'm not I'm not saying it's not good, and I'm not saying it's not good to recognize people. And what I will also say is that the Coco Crew has always been great about that, and I think we're doing the same thing too. We're acknowledging the community on a regular basis. So even if you don't get a, a trophy or a ribbon or anything else, I think it's the validation, the recognition, and the acknowledgement goes a long way. Um, yeah, and publish, I, I, public acknowledgement, I think, is important. Yes, yes, and that own. is that has been happening for for two years now with the Coco crew and now with for almost a year with us. So we're definitely validating and, and acknowledging the community members. And I'm yeah. sure that helps. They should make it like the Nobel Peace Prize. I, I really want the cash, you know, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> screw, screw your trophy. Give me the money, right? So. <laughs> well, ten, ten years ago, we wouldn't have had anything to celebrate. It would be like, ah, oh, new hardware. Well, what's Cloud9 got? <laughs> yeah. it's got a hundred bucks <laughs> new software um i got nothing oh, that's the thing too it's not just products coming out you got people working on projects look at alan with his little thing that he's doing with the um over the telenet and yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff, you know it's it, everybody on you know half the people on this uh uh call are doing hardware I've even got something that might be in the works for the Coco. So, so you know, it's just everybody does their little things to help and get, you know, just make the community better. Yeah, yeah, true, true. And I think in that area, I don't know what it was like before my exposure to it, but I've seen a lot of this community engagement and involvement and kind of recognition and stuff like that. So that that's a good thing. definitely a good thing just that people uh, aren't isolated you know thinking that they're alone in the basement doing this and nobody gives a crap right just, right right you know just mentioning the projects as we see them announced on facebook or they're, they're mentioned on the coco crew and then we kind of review that ourselves afterwards it's, right. it's just nice to get people's names out there people get become aware people can start helping each other because otherwise you wouldn't have a clue that you know alan's working on this and i've already done something 
along one part of that and maybe we can contribute together and, and you know get the project even better yet so right right the other part that i am also aware of that should not be overlooked is that number one the way the awards were handed out before was very willy-nilly and so i think the first part of this john linville basically said let's find a constructive and focused way to give out an award that you know, it's actually been earned, um, number one. And then number two, if we're going to give it out, let's just try to give it out to the people who we know are going to be there to say thank you for the people who make it to the fest. So some of these things are within the context of registered, confirmed attendees of the fest. And while on the one hand, it's great to say what's a, what's a cool project, but if it's a project and it's not a product, I think it does make more sense to focus on a product because it's something especially again you're now you're tying it back into if this person's at the fest and like if richard's selling his cables at the fest it ties all in and it's kind of acknowledging and helping support the participants and the exhibitors there so um it could not have been easy to come up with the categories it had to be done it it was done and i'm not i'm not complaining that that the survey was is there i'm not complaining about the survey i'm just kind of sharing how i feel about having to make some of these decisions you know, for myself, they're, they're just tough choices to make. And I, I'm a non-glory seeking person myself anyways, you know, so. So, so basically what I need to do is make sure Brandon doesn't show up. So I gotta <laughs> have to burn his plane or something like that. Cool. Got it. Wow. He's going to pull a Tanya Harding and club him in the back <laughs> of the ring. Limp on in here, you son of a bitch. <laughs> You're not gonna be able to make it to the finish line to get that trophy. <laughs> now we're not I competitive. Have a trophy, so I'm pretty much happy. You guys can do whatever the heck you want. <laughs> <laughs> you are an award winner, Alan Huffman. Do you still have yours with you? I do. Yep. I I look at it. I look at it often. I'm like, see the stuff I did 20 years ago. Somebody remembers. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, good times. Good times. Whoo, man, I don't know what it is about this room today. It is just really hot in my room today. Um, all right, so we've finished our main talk about talking about the Coco Crew, which even segued a little bit into uh, Coco Fest in, in the survey. Take a quick break. When we come back from the break, what do we want to talk about next? Uh, Nick, you want to do your Why Did Tandy Do That? Uh, yeah, we'll just do a quick short one there. All right, so we're going to do that. We'll be right back in two and two, people. Kieran Unscombe, author of XRAW, and your brain is resolving sensory input into Coco Talk. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me, it's Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. You know, gameplay. To get your copy of a gameplay goodness gameplay color computer goodness. gaming DVD today, gameplay head on over goodness. to 8bit256.com. There you will find several DVDs featuring color computer gameplay videos by the original gamer Stevie Stroh. So to get your very own copy of a gameplay goodness color computer gaming DVD, head on over to the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com and tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Yeah, mention my name and get a good seat here. What is going on here? Coco Talk is, uh, Coco Man is playing F-16 Assault right now. This is a great game for the Coco here. I just actually want to soak this in for just a minute. And that capture device is looking really good, Jason. You guys seeing that? Mm-hmm. It's glorious. Wonderful, wonderful. That's yeah. the best $11 I've spent in a long time. Yeah, yeah. So this is composite capture off of Coco 3. Uh, it's super clear. 
Artifacting's coming through good. I'd like to know what device he's using. Yeah, yeah. Uh, share, we po share. We posted it in the uh, link last night, but yeah, we posted it in the uh, YouTube chat too. We posted it in uh, Facebook last night. Yeah, we'll we'll get that link momentarily. Although I don't yeah. think I can post the link, so I have to post it in Skype. Uh, po and okay, post it in Skype. It. Yeah, okay. Or just if you post anything, if you just say hello in the um, in the YouTube chat, I'll uh, I will knight you and make you a moderator so you can do it. All right. Okay. So Nick, uh, Nick Morentis, I'm gonna do the official graphic and uh, theme song here. Are you ready? Ready. Are you gonna be doing video, or are you just gonna be audio? No, I just. Uh... Just gonna be chatting it up. Okay, so here we go, guys. Here's our new segment that's called "Why Did Tandy Do That." Later, we'll call it "Why Did They Do That," but we're gonna have to re-record it. So right now, it's "Why Did Tandy Do That." Tell me why. Take it away, Nick. <laughs> All right. This will be a short one. Um, okay. This is, uh, as we know, uh, Tandy's first computer was released in 1977, and it was called the TRS-80. So I was just thinking the other day, I said, well, okay, TRS-80, we know where that, what that stands for, TRS being Tandy Radio Shack. And the 80, of course, is the uh, fact that it uses a Z80 processor. So that made sense, a TRS-80. Later on, they uh, released their next computer, um, the TRS-80 Model 2, which um, was really a very different computer to the original TRS-80, which they then called, called that one the TRS-80 Model 1. The TRS-80 Model 2 was still... Um, what, by Tandy Radio Shack, of course, so the TRS was valid. And the 80, well, it was still a Z80 processor. So that Actually, it wasn't It wasn't a Z80, it was an 8080. Oh, really? Model 2? Model 2 was an 8080. Oh, or like okay. an 8081 well, then, or something like that. But it was an Intel. Okay. Uh, no, it was a Z80. Okay. It was Z80? Yes. Okay. Oh, I, thought it was I used to work Z80. on it. <laughs> All right, I've because because uh, one of the early specs that I I pulled out when I was working at Radio Shack for it was supposedly an eighty eighty, but I guess yeah they went to Z eighty at the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I've actually got a model too, so I know it's a Z eighty. Um, so that, that the the name TRS eighty was still valid, and they just added the old model part. So you had a model one and a model two. That all made sense. Of course, later on, a few years later, we saw the TRS-80 Model 3s and the Model 4s, and it still was valid, the TRS, Tandy Radio Shack, and the 80, because they were all still a Z80. But I was just thinking, okay, the color computer came out in, uh, what, 1980? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was also called a TRS-80. Tandy Radio Shack, well, that part's valid. 80. It didn't have a Z8, so I was just wondering, why did Tandy do that? Why didn't they call it a TRS-68 uh, for a 6809? It was the 1980s. So, well, yeah, <laughs> that that's that's true. Um, but um, I was just wondering, why 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 did they change? 
why didn't they 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 give it a different name? Because it kept on going. Later on, they they, they called all their computers TRS eighty. Whether that you know, the pocket computer, for example, was a TRS eighty. Mm -hmm. Why didn't they change the name? Does anyone have any answer? behind uh, that yeah i can give you kind of an explanation the trs 80 line was actually a brand uh and that's what they stuck with it until about 1980 and uh when they came out with the model 16 that was for the 68,000 uh uh model 2 basically it was a souped up model 2 uh, then they went from the trs 80 line to tandy and then they also changed from that mercedes uh silver or what we call battleship gray to white and that's when they renamed all of it to, to tandy but it was basically because of it it was more of a branding thing it was everybody identified trs 80 and if you they felt if you had changed it up you know to match like with the color computer and they they had other products as well that people would be confused about it yeah wow. i have to agree well, i think that was the exact same the exact reason yeah. that they did it because it was if you knew Radio Shack and you wanted to look at a computer, you instantly knew to ask about a TRS-80. Just like at the time in the late 70s, if you went to Commodore and you wanted to see a computer, it would be a pet. And then that was kind mm -hmm. of like the the branding, the, the show name for it. Right. Well, that makes sense, I guess. So I guess the name originally came out, let's say the engineers came up with the name TRS-80. But then once the computer uh, became popular marketing department kicked in and decided to then use it as the um, the branding as you say and it just carried throughout the rest of the um the line trs80 yeah, yeah until, if you remember the history uh, history of the model one when they made it they really it was a big gamble at the time they didn't anticipate it to be as successful or they thought well if it fails and they were just you know be done with it but that's where they they didn't really think forward ahead about other products that they were going to roll out computer wise they a lot of people thought this was going to be a failure and they thought this was going to be kind of a folly thing yeah they always figured that they made enough machines to have one in every store that way they could use as a business machine and i just found out where the 8080 computer was before they came out with the model 2 they contracted with a company to bring in a workstation based on the 8080 that's where oh, I got right. confused. Okay. Yeah. Was that actually produced, that workstation? Or? Uh, somebody else built it for them, and they resold it. That one I don't remember. Right. Yeah. yeah it, 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 I was working at Radio Shack when they first started selling the original Model 1, and we got the stuff in for a professional workstation based around the 8080. I think there was a there was a model there was a Tandy ten or a Tandy sixteen if I remember. I mean it was a yeah. very obscure machine. Yeah. But then they decided to do with the sixty eight thousand. Uh when I was at Tandy Computer Assembly, they announced the model sixteen. They didn't even have a name for it. But that was that was gonna be that machine was gonna compete against the IBM XT. That was gonna be their answer to IBM's uh machine. It was still called the TRS eighty though, model sixteen. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, there was a 16, 16B, and then they rebranded it as 6,000. Yeah. And and was it actually a 68,000, um, only a 68,000, or no was both. it a Z80 with both. a card? It had both. 
Yeah, if you, if you ran the Z80, you could run your TRS DOS stuff just fine. If you ran the six to eight thousand, you'd run it. Was it Xenix or whatever they called it? During yeah, it was Xenix, mm-hmm. and then they also had uh, uh, Trista. Well, they had a, I think it was Tandy sixteen DOS. Uh, it was a multi-user DOS. It didn't work well, and then that's when they uh, went with Santa Cruz operations and uh, and Microsoft, and they got uh, Xenix. Yeah, and if I remember, Xenix actually used the the Z80 as a coprocessor, an I/O processor, or something, didn't they? Right. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Yeah, the 68000 was faster. I believe it started out at 8 megahertz, and, or initially it was 6 or 8 megahertz, and, Six, it, was think, one, yeah. and it was their first quad-layer uh, board that they ever produced. And uh, you, they actually sold kits that you could actually take a Model 2 and make it into a 16. Uh, the older Model 2s, you had to replace the power supply, but uh, you could actually convert. You know, they, they sold conversion kits. Oh, oh, neat. So, neat. So, so basically, they're all TRS-80s. And anyone know why then they did change the name and what, what was the reasoning? Was it because they got sick of people calling it the Trash 80 or um, <laughs> or uh, what, what, what was the reason to switch to Tandy Computer? It was both. Uh, one was the the problem with the Mercedes Silver, it was painted. And so they, they actually had a paint shop in the factories that would actually touch up the uh, paint. With the white cases, it didn't require any painting whatsoever. And that was probably one thing was it cut down on costs. And then also, the, the like, you're, like you're explaining, they were coming out with more product that was not based on the Z80, but it was on other processors and stuff. And so that was when they decided, you know, it might be a good time to switch over. Because they had the Model 100s, they had the, the data terminals, uh, and then they were going into the PC clone yeah, as well. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is they introduced a new type of store called Tandy Computers. Yeah, the computer centers. Yep, Tandy Computer Centers. And also, internationally, they, they were known as Tandy. They weren't really known that much for Radio Shack, right, Nick? That's right. They were Tandy Electronics here. Yeah, they were Radio Shack here in, in Canada. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had the computer centers. Uh, those came around about 1981, and then in '84, they still they they were going to rebrand those as business centers, uh, and because they also sold copiers and uh, telephone systems, and also mm-hmm. cell phones. Yeah, what they were also trying to do too is, if you were a smaller market, you would have a Radio Shack store with a Tandy Computer Center in it. If you're a larger market, they wanted two separate stores: one for Tandy Computers and one for Radio Shack. Yeah, yep. most of the most of the computer centers had the uh, shops in the back. Uh, that's where I used to work. No, I have a follow-up to Nick's question here on the branding thing because we talked about it privately on Skype. I think yesterday, the day before. And, and and I know Steve Bjork won't like this question, but the MC10. <laughs> we know the MC stands for microcolor. What the heck does a ten signify? How much is worth in cents? I think how many inches it, it can go underneath the door. <laughs> <laughs> how many times it'll boot before it crashes? <laughs> That is a good question. Anybody know the actual yeah, answer? Yeah, what's the 10 for? <laughs> it just sounded cool, MC10. I, I, yeah, I think it's how many how many units they actually sold on the first day or something. <laughs> <laughs> Davey Mitchell I, says the 10 was the projected sales figure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on the, I, I remember the day that they shipped it in, 
and we opened it up. We're all looking at it, and you know, we started taking it apart. We said, "Well, this is great. It can. It's only 4K." And well, how can how how much expansion? And we found out only 16K. So like 20K. This crappy keyboard. There's no joystick. Uh, and then when we loaded a program, you know, the we thought it was broken. The cassette kept running because it doesn't have a it didn't have a, a, a no, relay in no. it. Yeah, so it was just like, what kind of crap is this? <laughs> <laughs> well, just and be so. glad they didn't. They did not call it a color computer efficient, <laughs> as efficient in cost. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah I think I the MC rainbow was called the it micro cocoa for a while, but micro cocoa. Yeah, micro cocoa. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, I, I I know that we always. Now, I'm just speaking for myself. I know we always cut down the MC10, but honestly, the the guys who are working on it now, they're doing some awesome stuff with it. Because, I mean, oh, they're, yeah. they're they're doing things that are way, way, way beyond the capability, and anybody could a- a- possibly ever imagine that the uh, MC10 could ever do. I mean, it's really, really awesome. Well, the same thing could be said for the Atari 2600. I mean, that is such a lame system. You know, 128 bytes of RAM and et cetera. But some people have been managed to make pretty good games off yeah. of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Doesn't mean that you necessarily want to program for one. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can oh, say the same about the Coco, the too. I mean, just in general. I mean, the Coco's had some pretty amazing things come out lately, too, like Donkey Kong and stuff that, you know, back in the day we would never have thought possible. You know, well, I hate to be the one that it. plays devil, devil's advocate for the MC10, but when it came out, I still had friends that had the little black. I was just about to bring that up. It was uh, the the Sinclair ZX80 came out, uh, and followed by the the ZX81. And if I had to have a choice between using one of those or an MC10, I'll use the MC10. They were terrible machines. <laughs> exactly. Granted, and we were just, granted the we had users groups for the Timex machine in Houston. I knew a lot of people that had them, so it was yeah. Radio Shack saying, oh, we can make something like that, but we'll give ours color. So yeah. for the market, it's just the market was already going away by the time the thing came out because real computers were getting cheaper. Well, I will yeah. say that Tandy did understand about the video display generator. After all, they used it in the color computer one and two. They brought that over, and that had the big thing against the Sinclair because the Sinclair, if it started running a program in full speed, you got a blank screen because the microprocessor was building the display. And it was so funny on the first versions of the Sinclair or the Timex or whatever you want to call it, every time you pressed a key, the screen would blank. Yep. Yeah. It took a little while to fix that. Right. But, you know, it's just they didn't know how to program for it. So, yeah, the that, you know, Coco was trying to come up with competition for that. I mean, you know, Tandy was trying to do that. But, see, my problem with the machine is it was a backward step. And when you consider that a few years later, they came out with the Coco 3, and they were able to manufacture that for less than the Coco 2 with twice the memory and extra capabilities you know that's the thing is we want them to move forward not backwards right yeah the mc10 may have done not too badly if it had been released a year or two earlier when yes. as alan mentioned the the timexes were still popular yeah. it would have been a huge upgrade for people with timexes but it came out too I, late I in the remember, cycle 
I remember back in high school, we had a bit of a running joke with uh, another fellow there who had a Sinclair ZX80, um, ZX80 computer. And we would all always stir him. Whenever we looked at him, we'd blink our eyes. And he'd say, what are you blinking for? I says, well, I'm pretending I'm looking at a ZX80 and I'm just flashing in time with the screen. <laughs> and we just stir him about we just stirring about the fact that it would do the, the screen blanking every time you um, you typed or, or, or did anything. Uh, so, yeah, they that, that were terrible machines. And, and we were talking with Curtis yesterday. We were wondering, oh, well, where did they get their 80 from? And we just mentioned about the TRS-80. The 80 stood for Z80. Did they do the same for the ZX80? Because it also had a... Z80 or a Z80 equivalent, but the thing is, they then released the ZX81. So we're wondering, okay, what was there? They obviously didn't follow a brand. What, what, what does the 81 signify? And we we worked the next out version. the ZX, the ZX80. No, no, the Z, well, maybe, but the ZX80 was actually released in 1980. The ZX81 was released in 1981. So we're just wondering, did they just pick the year? <laughs> there was a well, talk remember I had the... with there was a talk I had with Barry Thompson over at Tandy in regards to I kind of did talk to him about. I understand TRS80, TRS, that stands for Tandy Radio Shack. And then the 80, you know, we all assumed that. He goes, Well, the 80s were coming up in 1977. Yeah. So it's also a little bit of a jump on the year. In I mean, how many products decade, get talked yeah. about the year? So, yeah, the, the, you so got to remember, these are people. Yes, but that's still so the you could say you could say that the TRS-80 color computer was the computer they released in 1980, not so much as Z80. Also, in the early days of the color computer, there was stuff that I received from Tandy where they called it the TRS-90. Hmm. Oh. And you would assume the 9's from the 6809, but I remember seeing that too. So, you know, Mark, you got to remember, you have people, these are people, they have their great moments, they also have their faults when it comes to marketing, and they have to please the higher-ups, and they'll try everything to please them. Yeah, I remember yep. hearing about the 90 rumor being the name, too. I, I never knew the story behind it, though. Yeah. Wasn't and a lot of the, the computers uh, had uh, real uh, arbitrary decisions. You remember the Commodore VIC-20 uh, was originally going to be VIC-22 because of the width of the VIC chip, but 22 wasn't a friendly enough name, so they just rounded it down to 20, so 20 meant nothing on it. <laughs> well, I heard also that the um, they released the, the, the name VIC-20, but in Japan, they actually released the, the VIC-20 in Japan first to combat the Japanese invasion because the, the Japanese were going to be bringing out all these computers that would flood the US market. So Commodore thought, well, let's release the VIC-20 in Japan first and get a jump on them. Problem is that the word VIC means something well uh, rude in japan so it didn't go down that well in japan <laughs> uh the yeah, dick 80 basically is what it was saying <laughs> yeah and from the uh from the time back then the one of the original names they thought they would call it vixen 
and use a little fox for a logo, but Vixen in Germany meant something different and has different meanings in America, for that matter. The problems of being international. Yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> Steve Powell has an interesting theory on what the 10 and MC10 stands for because he says there was 10, huh? gra 10 graphics modes that the MC10 could display. As good as for any other reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, re I remember hearing that one of the either potential names or uh, like when, when we weren't sure the color computer was going to be released yet when it was still kind of a rumor was one of the code names or proposed names people were thinking maybe it'd be called the trs 80 c for color or something like that yeah i don't know why but that that just stuck with me it's something i came across somewhere that or maybe that was they're trying to think of a nickname before they decided on coco but at some point in time there was a name floating around of trs 80 c the to for the color computer but it just well, never stuck well just I remember that was, just remember when it comes to coco that's the term that the publishers did because they wanted to shorten the yeah. name. Tandy never, ever called it internally a Coco. Okay. No, no, and that's I, right. I remember in 82, like when Rainbow, the letters pages were filled with people arguing what the nickname should be. Someone calling it ADC, TRS ADC, Coco, which I believe was actually yeah. coined by David Lagerquist of um, Chromaset, if I remember correctly. But uh, Coco yeah. eventually won out because it was, it was a much friendlier name. And that's when the MC10 was nicknamed the Poco by Rainbow when it was released <laughs> in September of 83. With the poor man's cocoa, or well, pocket color computers. Oh, pocket were, color. <laughs> they were kind of link, linking it to. I, I guess door stops hadn't been invented yet, so they thought it would just go in your pocket. But. <laughs> now, if they came out with an MC10 that was more like those little sharp computers that Radio Shack sold as a TRS80, I forget the name, pocket computer. Right. Yeah, PC if they actually came, if they actually came out with it like that, where it had a color LCD display. Thumbs up. Yeah. Well, we do we do have a um, when I get into some of the uh, little things from Facebook to show, uh, we do have something to show on the MC10 too that uh, is happening right now that might you know add some vibrancy to it. Um, what do we want to? I figured maybe now since have we done with this? Have we have we beat this one to death? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Oh, it's flat as a pancake. Come on. Okay. So <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll take a quick break, but when we come back, what do we want to talk about next? Uh, does uh, Curtis? Did you want to do either? Uh, your, you said you had something you might possibly want to show, or maybe do you have a, a Nitrous Nine ease of use update? I might have a little bit of both, actually. Okay. And but then, Ron, Ron's got some stuff to demo too, so I'll just tag on my little hardware bit on the tail end of his. Okay. We're gonna do a little bit of show and tell with you, Ron. No, we don't have to. I'm just playing. Oh, okay. I thought <laughs> you were actually gonna throwing short stuff up for demonstration there, so it was a teaser. Yeah. I'm just doing stuff, you know. <clears throat> this is a kid's game. Playing on the Coco. What, what's the game you're playing there? Bagasaurus. Bagasaurus? Never, I never <laughs> heard of that. I've heard of that one. That's a children's yeah. workshop, like the Sesame Street people, I think. Yeah. Remember? Children's Bag. television workshop, where it was. What do babysitters do? Oh, and you have to move sit. them over to the word sit, huh? Yeah. That's neat. I think that's a game even I could play. <laughs> <laughs> it might be one of the few you can play without the manual. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you might get past level one. Hey. <laughs> hey, yes. let's not rush to conclusions here. I don't. Ease of use. <laughs> All right. 
So we will uh, take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back with a tech segment followed up by some news. So stay tuned here, people. Hello, I am David Ladd, and you are watching Coco Talk, the nation's leading live Coco podcast. Good day, mates. This is Nick Marionettes, author of such color computer titles as Donut Disaster, Rupert Rhymes, and Rockstar Pilot. And I am here today to tell you about the world's most fabulous operating system, OS9. OS9 and its current incarnation, Nitrous 9, is the most advanced operating system ever created. And what makes it so good? Ease of use. I find OS9 so incredibly intuitive that I haven't once cracked open the user manual. And yet I've been able to create such incredible games faster than the time it takes to sing Walsing Matilda. Using OS9, I expect my next game, Funstar, will be done this weekend and distributed exclusively on ROM cartridge. OS9 forever. Any resemblance to actual events, to persons living or dead, is purely coincidental. What's going on guys, Stevie Stroh here, and I want to say thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. It's been such a great experience in doing Coco Talk every week, and the support we get is just amazing. And so the fact that you watch and listen is all the reward that we need. However, if you would like to become a patron of the show and offer some financial assistance towards the production and hosting costs of the show, we do have a Patreon site available for that, and you can reach that by going to our website at cocotalk.live and clicking on the Patreon link. But just do us a favor and watch and listen to the show. At GSoft, we make games for the TRS-80 color computer TRS-80, MC-10, and Dragon computers. Our basic games cover the range of genres from arcade, to text adventures, to simulations, to 3D dungeon crawls. This is our latest puzzle game from Japan, Fruit Panic. So come on and drop by our website and download our latest games. All right, and we are back. We are back with Coco Talk, episode 45. So we have talked about the Coco Crew podcast this month. We have asked the question, why did Tandy do that? And if you think that we've squeezed in as much content as we can possibly squeeze into this train wreck, we have got more in store for you. And by the way, I want to say hi to the 26 people who are watching us live right now. We are breaking records here. Um, we are trying to raise money, too, for Timmy so he can get a new wheelchair. And so far, it is coming along swimmingly here. So, um, so yeah, we've got a tech segment here with um, Curtis Boyle. He's going to do a little show and tell. But before we do that, I want to play a little uh, intro graphic here because this is a professionally produced show. So check this out. That was amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I'm stunned yeah. speechless. I, I won't be able to speak now. Beautiful 1980s technology. <laughs> I think 80s is for the wind. For the wind. For the win. So, by the way, I just need to say that we have uh, His Majesty 
uh, Lord Curtis Boyle, as recently heard on the Coco Crew podcast interview, is with us today. Thank you, Your Eminence, for being here. Yes. Worse <laughs> for last, as I said. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently on this show, too, because this is near the end, I guess. Okay, so my uh, little uh, demonstration here today is going to be showing the Glenside IDE interface board, which was a pretty popular IDE hard drive solution uh, back in, the, I guess, the, what would it be the 90s. So this is what the board looks like. Okay. Fairly simple. So that your ID hard drive just connects on the back here. And then you have a jumper here. You can address it to FF50 or 70. So if you wanted to mix it with another hard drive, say a Birkenberg or something, you could just move it so that you could actually have both plugged in your system at once. Um, mine does not have the optional extra connectors here for adding extra cards. But you could. It kind of almost a mini multi-pack built into it type thing. But uh, it enabled us to use a lot of the cheap ID drives after the old MFM and RLLs kind of started, you know, not being manufactured or hard to get. And then there were some extended drivers for Nitrous 9. We actually started getting it to handle some of the larger size drives because OS 9 itself can natively handle up to a 4 gig drive um, with cluster sizes. And then we actually added in, ended up adding in some um, segmentation where you could do 4 gig segments. And I know I used this specific controller when I was writing that driver, and I hooked up a 20 gig, I think, Seagate. And I made five virtual descriptors pointing to each of the four chunks, and you could actually, you know, basically have five hard drives as far as the Cocoa was concerned off one physical drive with 20 gig of actual storage you could use. I haven't filled that yet, but... Hmm. So the, you're not using the word partition, though, because it sounds to me like what we would consider to be a partition, but not quite? Yeah, you, you could. Okay. Yeah. You want to get all fancy and PC-like, but... <laughs> Logical descriptor. <laughs> <laughs> this is tech talk, not, not movie talk. <laughs> That's cool. Um, now, what what's the long part of that card? Is that the part that goes in the cocoa? Because it looks like there's a long edge sticking out on yeah, one side there. Yeah, the, the reason they did that is if you are going to add these connectors... Basically, you'd solder the extra connectors here for plugging in other cartridges like your floppy controller or whatever else. They wanted enough room so when you plugged it into the side of the cocoa, you'd have enough room coming out to actually plug in these things without it trying to jam against the case and maybe you have to take the top of the case off to even get it to fit. Now, if you don't have anything on like this, it's a little bit awkward because it's kind of just okay. loose in space. Okay. I usually had it in my multi-pack because I was developing it along with you know some of my older controllers too. So. And I think, um, if I remember, a, a version of this, or a derivative of it, I think actually uh, supported compact flash cards, too, if I remember mm. correctly. David might remember better than I do. Yes, that would be uh, Mark Marlette's um, Cloud9's Super IDE. Okay, which is kind of the sequel yeah. to this one. Yeah, hmm. it had um, a compact flash slot. It still had the IDE slot. Um, it had flash memory on it for uh, storing your ROM images for your different disk basic versions. Um, and a real-time clock if you so desired to buy a version that had the real-time clock. Very cool. Now because this is IDE, would it support like a master slave on it? If, um, yeah. if you, had <clears> you could do both your, drives. You could do the um, like the the, the split cable and what do you got here because that's that's um okay that's the cloud nine sequel <laughs> okay super id interface that looks like a, a standard uh, like fd 500 or 501 controller case there it is an yeah, official they, they, radio shack cartridge case yep and on the side is the slot for the compact flash uh ah. plug-in 
and then it had the regular IDE connector on this end. Okay, so it would do both. Oh, everybody's got one. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can see how, how long the connector comes out here with yeah. the case. And if you did want to use the uh, two vertical ones, you'd have to leave the top of the case off, obviously. I'm I'm only using mine these days for the real-time clock. Shameless plug for John Strong. He does make a nice printed case for the uh, Glenside IDEs. <laughs> yeah, I don't use it anymore, though. I mean, with the SDC, it's kind of been you know, supplanted completely at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's also Super Driver with Nitrous 9 where you could, um, I haven't done it myself, but where you could use the Super IDE or the Glenside IDE for using CD-ROM drives or DVDs. Yep, and there was a SCSI uh, CD-ROM drive, I think Chris Ox did too. Very cool. Anyway, that's all I wanted to show there because not too many okay. people have seen the Glenside ID. This was actually a yeah. club project. The Glenside Color Computer Club that sponsors Cocoa Fest actually did this as a, a club project. Yeah. So a lot yeah. of the people designed it and then you know print you know got them made and, and popular the chips and sold them and everything else. So, do you know who some of the people are that that did work on that? Maybe some oh, names. Who did? I know Carl Bull was was helping quite a bit with the assembly, but I'm trying to remember who did the actual original design. Um, Alan, do you remember? Or David? Yeah, I used not to me. Know. <laughs> I know I talked to him a lot when I was developing the second version of the drivers, because the original drivers, I think, were done by Jim Hathaway, and that was only using this half of every sector, because it's 512-byte sectors on, on the PC, IDE-style drives, and it was 256 on the Coco. <clears throat> so the original one just took half the sector and threw the other half away, which I thought was a tremendous waste. So I rewrote the driver to, to handle the full 512-byte sectors. And then I did the partitioning <laughs> additions there too so uh what, what about any logical descriptors did you work on those too yep i had sample <laughs> ones on there i even wrote a little basic nine program to create the descriptors for you so yeah neat very neat i've heard about it i've never seen it so that was a first for me seeing the glenside ide very cool it's amazing that some of these new technology some of these devices to add new technologies those new technologies are now already dead technologies like yeah. IDE, you know? Yeah, because we went through the sassy stuff, like the original Tandy controller and some of the really old ones. I think the Disto did that too. And then we went to the MFM RLL, like the Burke and Burke and SCSI, of which there were several like Canton and a few others. Mm -hmm. And then uh, IDE was the next big thing after that for about 10 years because you couldn't get the cheaper, older drives anymore. And, and you can get much bigger sizes with this too. And now, right. of course, now with, with SD cards. Yeah, and the uh, the uh, Super IDE with the compact flash card, when it came out and I bought mine at the fest, we ran down the street to like a Walgreens or something, and they still sold compact flash cards in the store. But within a few years, you just had to mail order them because everybody had moved on to, you know, different type of memory cards for the cameras and stuff. So we've kind of always been living in the past with the color computer. It's always a PS2 mouse or a compact flash. Um, it's it's really hard to keep up with a 30-year-old computer, apparently. Yeah, yeah. And even <laughs> Always now, on the trailing edge. <laughs> right. And, no, and nothing against the Coco VGA project. It's a great project. But VGA by itself is somewhat of a soon-to-be obsolete uh, connection for, uh, you know, monitors. Most of the monitors now are, 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 you know, most modern TVs don't have VGA anymore. And, and even the computer monitors now are going more HDMI. Um, so, um, 
it's actually, good to, it's good to have these things but I think it's actually tied to price point. Like where I work, we had a product that has the RS-232 serial interface. And even when laptops started dropping 232, we still had a 232 product and just bought a cheap over-the-counter adapter because the price point for putting USB in our product was pretty expensive. It wasn't until 2009 that there was a reasonable you know, item to put in there. Right, and right, right, right. Same thing here. It's like, yeah, by the time you know it comes along with serial ATA, well, then the IDE stuff has dropped so cheap, you can now make a reasonably priced adapter. Right, right. So, trailing technology, yeah, usually it gets really inexpensive. <laughs> <laughs> no truer words have ever been spoken. Hey, Ron, I like that view of your swimming pool in the backyard there. You look, look like you're living in an oasis, my friend. Yeah, we are, basically, yeah. I think so. An oasis in the desert. <laughs> yeah. Looks nice. Cool. Probably near 80 today. Oh, what a shame. Bill Noble would be just disappointed really? to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good tech segment. Uh, what else we got to go on here today? Does anybody else have another segment, or are we ready to look at some of the news from around Facebook? Um, well, I was going to add one more thing for the Super IDE, since Alan was uh, commenting on the Compact Flash. You can get Compact Flash SD card adapters. And I, that's actually what I'm using in my Super IDE now since my SD card or uh, compact flash card died a while back. So And, and then um, during the days of the IDE, I never had an IDE hard drive. Um, I just used it for compact flash, and it became the most convenient hard drive I ever had. So I picked up one of these adapters from Cloud9 that plugged into the uh, IDE port and then gave me a second compact flash. I just had to power it off of a floppy drive somewhere. So I was able to have two compact flash hard drives and do backups. So that was my number one hard drive system until I got Coco SDC. Wow. Cool. So we can adapt one dead technology to a less dead technology. <laughs> Celebrating obsolescence one year at a time. <laughs> <laughs> the win what i want to do now is i want to convert a uh, ps2 to usb and then get a usb to ps2 adapter <laughs> i forgot the bluetooth in there no, <laughs> we're trailing edge it has to be a serial to ps2 adapters what you need right yeah, what yeah and i'm glad that we're good finally, idea curtis i'm glad we're finally getting the color computers online with parts that don't support um, modern encryption and all the uh, vp uh, virtual networks on the wi-fi base stations and we can't have a web browser because every web page is three gigabytes in size but 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 at least we're getting close we're getting telnet <laughs> actually so what, what i want to see happen is now that the cocos are starting to get in the web i want to see all the hackers and like north korean stuff try to attack a cocoa and then try to figure out what the heck is going on <laughs> <laughs> Can I show you guys uh, Coco TV? Yes, yes. I, uh, can you see it good? Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, this is on Roku. This is um, Roger uh, Roger Taylor, right from right. Coco and a Chip. He has a channel called Coco TV. Okay. And does it come up with a menu, or does it automatically start showing things? Okay, it's a little yeah, bit blurry, a little, little hard to see. Yeah, it's a little blown out. I don't know if you can adjust that or not. Okay, here it goes. 
Kevin C. So this is anybody who has Roku, which is a you know a TV streaming device. So you can buy it as a box, or you can um, some TVs have it built into the smart TVs. Okay, so PenFest 2000 videos are on there. Some Coco Fest videos are on there. New Coco. Okay, Forest of Doom. New Coco Games. Yeah, we can't see it all too clearly, but it's okay. Timberman. Timberman. When when is the MC10 channel starting? <laughs> Demos <What>? and showcase <laughs> down below. So let me ask: Can you? So is there a way to look at one of these and know? Okay, there's the pop star. Uh, there's the OS9 commercial, right? OS9 forever. Yeah. Is there is there a way to click on one of these and know how many people have seen it on Roku? Like, do you get view counts on it? I do not know. Uh, no, there's no view count. The only people that get that are the people that actually put out the chick. Okay, put out so, the channel. so that would be Roger. Yeah. The interface yeah. works pretty quick. Yeah, no, I'd say so. And then they have some, uh, you know, they show the demos of um, Coco 3 demo, for instance. Right, so you just One thing, on since it, you mentioned it. Roger... Um, I'm hoping he puts up some of his experimental videos. He powered up one of these Wi-Fi chips off of a battery from a cell phone, and it's been running over 26 hours so far. These things are apparently very low power. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's hard for us to see what it says, Ron. It's kind of like washed okay. out with the colors, but uh, we can we can see you moving stuff around, though. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to see. <clears throat> He's got his cocoa on a... Well, he uh, gave away a um, twenty-five-dollar one, and um, Coco okay, on a Coke. chip Christmas Day drawing. Yeah, that's neat. I remember him posting that in Facebook. Yeah. Uh oh, what happened? Loading. My internet's crappy, so it's probably loading. Oh, because you're you are you in the garage now? Yeah, I've been out here. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you need to run an internet it. cable out there, sir. Yeah. Or beam form a Wi-Fi signal or something. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I'm dying to see it. I just I'm, I'm just too cheap to buy a Roku box for that one thing, you know. But one of these days I'll get a I'll get a chance to see it. Radio Shack commercials. You got to love the old commercials. Those are great. Um, so Grant Leedy says he's going to join us shortly, and he says he thinks that um, that Glenside is having a meeting about credit cards right now. So that will be um, that'd be interesting to hear. Um, the outcome of that. Hope they get it working because then I'll buy more stuff. Yeah. Actually, that's yeah, not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Might go broke. Exactly. Exactly. All I'm right. Bidding we'll, against Alan. We will take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to look at some things that have been posted on Facebook this week. We'll talk about some of the, the latest things to discuss. Okay. So Nick Marotta says Roku on a stick is like $40. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I know it's not that expensive, but again, it's like it's something I have no need for other than seeing Coco TV. So unless it's like five dollars, I'm just I'm not interested in spending. You it know, it has a ton of play, uh, things you can watch on there. I mean, yeah, channels and channels and channels and some local stuff for all over the country. Yeah, all right. That's yeah, also a good Netflix streamer. True, true. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back in just a second here, folks. So enjoy these words from our sponsors. What's going on everybody? It's me. It's Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. You know, gameplay goodness. As you can see, color computers, Coco Talk, Stevie Stroh, 
What can we ask for? This is the best. Gameplay goodness. You know, gameplay goodness. All right, people. Gameplay goodness. Thank you so much. You know, gameplay goodness. Yeah. You know, gameplay goodness. Are you ready for this? You know, gameplay goodness. Yeah. Gameplay goodness. Are you ready for this? You know, gameplay goodness. Yeah. You know, gameplay goodness. You know, gameplay goodness. This is how we like to do it. Where can you catch all the latest news and information about the Tandy Color Computer and Compatibles? Oh yeah. I'm talking about the Coco Crew Podcast. Dig it each month. Join John, Neil, and Mike as they lay down the latest news and information about the Radio Shack Tandy Color Computer and Compatibles. Groove to interview. Tech segments and discussions all about the Radio Shack Tandy Color Computer. Strut your fine self over to www.cococrew.org and start listening today. The Coco Crew Podcast. Keeping it Coco. All right, well, we are back for Coco Talk episode 45. Still with us on the call, we've got Rondell Lowe, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Curtis Boyle, Richard Lorbieski, Alan Huffman, Steve Bjork, Jason the Coco Man, and Nick Morentes. And we are now going to take a look at some news from around the world, or at least as posted on uh, Facebook. And I should probably come up with a cool little uh, infographic and song. Alan, Alan Huffman, you have been tasked with coming up with a news, <laughs> a news jingle now. So you give I, me a title, I'll give you a tune. <laughs> so I have gone through and just saved a handful of things that have been um, posted on uh, the, the color computer. Um, uh, blah, blah, blah. What are we talking about? Yes, the Color Computer Facebook group this week. And so one of the ones that was posted was by uh, Joel Yui. I'm not even sure how to pronounce yep, his name. that's pretty Yui? close. Okay. Yeah. So he is at, uh, what is the ICT Game Jam in Wichita State University? Are you familiar with that? But it looks it's kind like of a it's a game programming contest or something. Okay, isn't it? so it's a game programming contest. He's brought a Coco. Here's even got a little sticker here. So the ICT game jam, and he says, um, "I am one of the only people here programming on an 8-bit machine." So he's got his Coco Three here, and he is participating in the game jam right now. So that's kind of cool to see the Coco Three out there in the wild. Yeah, he's using Basic 09 if you look at the screen close. Ah, let's go back. 
Is that what that is? Base to go nine? Okay. It's kind of hard to tell from the glare. Okay. Yeah, and there was a really good article that I just read, too. I think it was James Jones, Jones. who was yep. who was talking in favor of basic 09, the structured language versus, you know, line numbers and things like that. So um, it was kind of cool to read that piece there. So that's cool to see the Coco 3 being represented. Another nice update here. We've talked about this for a bit now, but um, our good friend Hugo DeFort um, is working on a... Um, uh, a library of like, you know, pop-up boxes and buttons and all the things that you need to develop software because none of these things are built in. Of course, some could argue if you just used OS 9, you'd have all these things. <laughs> 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 but there is something cool about um, just making your own routines and making your own libraries. Um he did mention that it's still a little slow. It's not been double buffered yet, but he is working on optimizing it. So it's still a work in progress, but he is, oh, he's got a calculator there. It actually oh. works too. Yeah, it does math. Actually, huh? does some adding. Oh. Oh, there he goes. So uh, neat, neat. So this is, this would be something that could be added to just about any game. It's basically creating a GUI, right? And so this could then be used to manage a, a whole bunch of things. Um, That's great because oh, all my basic yeah. games are severely calculator lacking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just wanted to see him do a division by zero. <laughs> see the what the calculator dissolve. does. <laughs> yeah, but I would have to say this looks pretty good. This is the, the I I I just recall you know a lot of the the as this was being worked on all the questions he was asking about fonts and things like that so um you can see he's got all different types of fonts here mixed mixed case and all kinds of neat stuff right should should so, mention too he is starting to do the optimization and simon's helping him with that okay oh no self-modifying code <laughs> <laughs> so Self-modifying uh, calculator changes the results yes. every time you run it. <laughs> something, <laughs> something Steve Bjork will be happy to see. But this is Brendan Donahue's Coco VGA project now being plugged into an MC10. So we now see the MC10 showing up on a VGA display. And that's oh, pretty cool. <laughs> well, Steve, I was going to ask you actually about this because, I mean, the Coco VGA project also gives you a 64 by 32 text screen and he's also going to be adding user definable fonts would that improve the mc10 enough to make it worth your while it's still an mc10 <laughs> <laughs> well one of the things now, that ed snyder was going to say was chiming in ed snyder's like well now we need to add some video ram to this too now if you added more video ram to this now you've overcome one of the limitations of the mc10 by not being able to get to the better graphics modes Yep. Sure. Well, see, one project I worked on, uh, played with quite a bit before even the Coco came out, was something called the Electric Crayon, which used a 6802 and a um, 6847. But they did have actually have 16k of RAM in there. So you could actually and access all the modes for the PDG. Yeah, you could fill up the modes, and what it was designed to do is plug into a printer port, like of a TRS-80 Model 1, and you could print the control strings to it, and it would display the text. 
And then we got the Coco 2, and that was so much better, and they were developing the deluxe color computer, and then they decided to take a big step back to the MC-10, which wasn't even as good as that damn electric crayon that came out in 1978. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not bitter. No, no, not at all. But I gotta One say, thing, uh, go ahead, Alan. Interesting to mention here is we're getting like programmable fonts on that VGA board that came out last year, and the ability to do like 64 columns. And mm -hmm. Roger Taylor has been putting in the ability to load in custom fonts for the hardware text modes on the virtual color computer. And I'm hoping that he will add support that mirrors the things that these add-on boards are doing. So it'll give another platform for writing software that behaves the same way. So we might actually get to see loadable fonts on this FPGA project that mirrors how it's actually done on real hardware, which would be fun. Well, that would actually help because a lot of the um, software that's out there that you're, you know, like the, um, oh, we've had all sorts of problems with the... Um, mime stuff and like that you know clicking audio things like that you know it just would be kind of nice to get around that yeah yeah i, I like the idea of these emulated cocos trying to uh, emulate more actual real hardware so things that are done on them can actually still be used on a real machine so that that that's a big plus and it's really interesting to see a color computer 3 running with the ibm pc font with all the special extended characters that's uh it's it's pretty interesting. That's something I wish we could do with a real gimme, and maybe that could be something added to those uh, gimme replacement projects to kind of keep the capabilities in sync. Who's going to make a replacement uh, 6809 or 6309 for the MC10? I mean, that'd be the killer app there, along with the VGA and the extra memory and all that. Yeah, but you still only have 20K of RAM. Nah, that's true. Yeah. Well, that, that's been addressed. There's a 128K extender for it. Um I think the the one downside to even if you add Coco graphics to the MC10, uh, now it becomes a Coco of brain damage, right? Because it doesn't even have the full 6809. So yeah. you you address one issue, but you haven't addressed the other. Well, the other oh. the other big thing is that you, there's no joysticks. Yeah. Yeah. If you're gonna play games, that little tiny chiclet keyboard or it's kind of rubbery chiclet keyboard is pretty difficult to play some games on. I still yeah, remember somebody somebody hacking an MC-10 so that you could have an Atari joystick work through the keyboard. Mm, yeah. yeah, that'd work. There was an MC-10 users group back in the 80s. A buddy of mine was in it, and they had a, a floppy drive for it as well. Such a waste. Ed could make his, Ed could make his P, uh, Coco PSG for the uh, MC-10, and then it'd have two Atari sticks plus flash mm. and sound. Uh, uh, by the way, John Linville says, if anyone has an electric crayon for sale, I would really like to have it. So <laughs> um, I think this looks good, though. It looks really clean. Um, and, you know, one of the one of the problems you have when your only output is RF and it's actually becoming more challenging to get RF input on some of the newer TVs that don't have analog capabilities. VGA is a compromise between that um, and uh, but it's neat. I like it. It looks good, and that the Coco VGA project is a, is a really good project that has really come a long way. I thought this picture here was pretty neat here too. So Boise Pete has just posted a um, a tower <laughs> of Cocos here, and so yeah, twos I, and threes. You know, it's just like wow. <laughs> now he's bringing the old machines back to life. Yeah, 
I mean, this I is, like he said, he was asking for suggestions of what he could do with this big rack of cocos, and somebody suggested Bitcoin mining. <laughs> oh, uh, the the cost and power. <laughs> Plus, you get one coin about every five thousand years, I think, using cocos. So. Right. Here's Hugo says: combine all the outputs to get twelve eighty by seven fifty TV output in sixteen colors. Then build an adapter that sends joystick info to all twelve computers. Sync the computers using external pulse and a serial port, and have a game that can be played across all machines. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a feasible project. <laughs> Peter Satinsky says it looks like a dozen cocos fresh out of the oven. <laughs> like a baker's rack. <laughs> baker's yeah. dozen. Yeah, Jim Cox said Bitcoin mining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> William Thompson says, dude, that's like almost a megabyte. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Who would need more than that? No, that's cool. That's a cool picture. So picture says a thousand words. Now, um, this was kind of neat here. This was uh, one of the things that we did last night on our uh, little after dark thing. But Alan Huffman had basically used his iPad to telnet into his Cocoa over his AT&T uh, Wi-Fi connection. And then he opened it up and Bill Noble was con connecting and a handful, handful of people were connecting in. So I think things like this are just kind of cool. It's like, well, why are you doing it? Well, because we can, you know, <laughs> and why not? So, just because we can.com. What's just that? Just please. Go ahead. Because we can.com. I registered that basically to post responses to people in Stack Exchange when somebody asks a question and somebody says, why would you want to do that? Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's why would you want to do that.com. That's the one. <laughs> I know I bought something. <laughs> Why I was upset because when I got in, I couldn't play Global Thermonuclear War, so. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, Professor Falcon. I, I was going to say, Alan, does the hardware support multiple ports? Like, if you set up an OS 9 BBS, could you actually have multiple users come in and chat with each other and the whole bit? Yes, you can. Um, and that's what the little basic programs the Commodore guys wrote do. That's how they do FTP and IRC and all that. And it just it gives you the data and tells you what socket it's on. You just have to write a little parser. They do it in basic with a little assembly code to speed up the um, serial I.O. So um, that's the next project I'm going to be working on this next week or so is to try to get onto the IRC Coco chat channel from an actual Coco without a PC in the mix. Neat, cool. neat, neat, yes. Because uh, I know the alpha program, one of the other programs that they have is a program that goes and retrieves a disk image for the Commodore from the Commodore emulator sites and then writes it out to a real floppy or their whatever emulated floppy hardware they use. So they can go onto their Commodore 64, type in the uh, path to what they want to get, it downloads the disk image, then they can run it. Wow. Yeah, that would be cool. I was going to suggest... I was going to suggest, wow, like, the AlphaSoft so BBS by Keith Alfonso actually has, we used to use it at work because we got permission from Keith and we modified it, but when we had our eight-terminal system running, he had some chat programs with shared memory under OS9 that you could actually have all eight people, plus whoever's locally on the Coco, literally chatting simultaneously, like a real live, you know, CB chat-style conference, almost like an RC. And that, that software already exists and is ready to go, so if you wanted to try that, I can send you some copies of that stuff if you don't have it already. Oh, I have it. I started out with Alpha Software before I went to uh, Scott Greppentog's STGNet, which was very similar, but um, did even more. Cool. 
So yeah, there'll be something like that, and hopefully we can have a simple little uh, internet multiplayer game at the Coco Fest and things like that. That would be neat. You know, the biggest change I see in how you're doing this stuff compared to the old days when we used to get online is you didn't have somebody yelling at you, get off so I can use the phone. Phone? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I cheated. I bought my own phone line even as a teenager. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I did too. Was for. I, I was still, uh, I don't even think I had worked at Radio Shack yet, but I had bought a Radio Shack phone and you know for my first phone so i can get on bulletin boards and stuff and i remember the first time it rang it freaked me out because i didn't even know what the hell the phone ringing sound was going to sound like i'm like what is this noise in my room i'm like looking around for the source of the noise and it was the phone company calling me to tell me that my phone line had been activated so <laughs> it was a, a cream colored um uh touchtone phone it wasn't the uh the, the rounded handle ones but you know the kind of like singular piece kind of oval shaped uh handheld piece um yeah, good times, good times. Yeah, I got a question for um, whoever can answer it. The, back in the day, did they ever um, try and make it so you can use two modems? Oh, yeah. That's what we were just talking about. Did it ever multi-user. work? Oh, yeah. You just have to have multiple serial ports on the machine, right? Yeah, multiple serial ports and then an operating system that can handle both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I first started getting online, it was acoustic modem time oh, at 110 yeah. baud. <laughs> And I had a buddy in the computer lab that was able to whistle so well, he could actually get it to type out letters on the terminal. Oh, wow. That's like Captain Crunch with his phone freaking where he could whistle the Man. tones to do the free long distance calls. That's yeah. a gift. The oldest memory I have of uh, computing is uh, in school, 1968. I went into a room at our high school, and they had a um, IBM Selectric with the little round ball on it. And um, that was the terminal. And um, you could play Hangman on it, and it went. It was hooked up to some computer at the um, headquarters somewhere, and it was uh, that was a computer. You know, pretty yeah, weird. Yeah, the time sharing mainframes and minis back yeah. then. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I mean the Coke, the the Coco supported multi-user BBSs in a multitude of flavors, um, and, and AlphaSoft. I mean, to go along with their BBS, which was set up for multi-user, you just had to get multiple phone lines. Also, sold the Com4 board, which was four serial ports, based on the RS32 pack in one cartridge. So, in one slot in your multi-pack, you had four ports going out. You could mix terminals or modems, whatever you wanted. We had one of those at work too. And, and now you can do a multiple uh, user um, Coco. Don't have to use any phone lines. It comes on in, works yeah. just great. People calling, you know, calling in, don't have to use a phone line. Yeah, yeah times have definitely changed. Who's taking my Netflix bandwidth? <laughs> well, that's the thing is with it being the Coco, there's no bandwidth it's affecting. Right, right. So, uh, you know, what's that one website? Vintage is the new old. We need to come up with a phrase now for modems. You know, modems is the new. You know, modems is the new blank. <laughs> Actually, vintage yeah. is the new old. I should mention that because that's I think where James Jones um, is doing his Basic 09 series. But isn't Alan also doing his optimized Basic Disk Extended Basic series on that? Yeah, um, but the problem with that is I go out and do all these wonderful steps to make something be incrementally faster and then james writes an article that goes or in basic 09 it's 527 times faster <laughs> <laughs> well he's also complaining that you were doing all these he wasn't complaining to you specifically but he was saying that yeah you can optimize basic and try to make it look like it's structured if you put extra colons in front of the line kind of hinting at your series 
Yeah, we've been we've been having some discussions back and yeah. forth. He's given me some more things to write about, which I know that means he he will then go and present the uh, way Basic 09 does it. And another article I'm going to be writing is uh, my first commercial program sold under Subitha Software was a banner printing program that looked like it was machine language, but it was just basic, and you'd load in and exec it and stuff. But I did a bunch of tricks. And um, when we quickly realized we could sell a ton more of them if it supported OS 9, um, I converted it over in Basic 09. So I'm going to try to pull out the source code to both of them and write a little article that shows how I took something written for Basic and converted to Basic 09 to look at you know how similar and different the code is. It'll be great. I haven't looked at that code since 1990, so it should be fun. Mm. I'll yeah. be like a whole new person looking at it. Hey, Bruce yeah. Morrill, love to hear that one. Yeah. yeah, and Nick Morandi's yeah. too, because he was—he's kind of got some curiosity about Basic 09, and that would be a, a good way to show the comparison between the two. Right. Yeah, especially nowadays when you could write it all with a modern full text editor and copy and paste and move things around and and then just send it over uh, and um, run it on the Cocoa. Yep. Yeah, I think we need to acknowledge Grant Leedy, who's been here for a little bit too. Grant's called in. Hey, Grant, welcome to Cocoa Talk. Hey guys, how's everybody doing today? Good. You've been uh, very silently letting this uh, pontification train just roll off the rails here, but uh, glad you could <laughs> finally make it. You, uh, Grant, you mentioned that um, you uh, something about how Glenside might be actually um, doing something with uh, d meeting up to discuss credit cards. Yeah, I uh, was. On, I just noticed on my phone on my Hangout call that. Uh, there was a update just a few minutes ago uh, when I, before I sent the text out to you on your YouTube channel that they're having a meeting about credit cards right now. Oh, okay. Cool. So hopefully we'll have an update about that maybe later this evening. Neat, neat, neat. Okay, and while I wasn't watching the live chat, Alexander Wallace said, Hello all, what would be the best choice to do Coco 3 to VGA? Um, well, the Cloud9 has a board. Richard Lorbieski has Coco 3 to um, SCART, which be, can be converted to HDMI. Um, uh, I think Cloud9 is currently out of stock, too, if okay. I remember, because he was going to do a modification of the board, which hopefully will be out for the fest. Okay. Uh, Solstice says, I got to go. See you all soon. Take care, Solstice. And then Bruce Moore says he would love that article, Alan, if you ever get to the point where you can um, talk about the difference between... Coco Basic and Basic 09. Hey, uh, Curtis, what's the baud rate number for 300 baud with X mode? Uh, one or yeah. two, isn't it? I don't know. I can't even find the manual. Okay, you may continue with the show. <laughs> I'll, I'll find out and isn't I'll it, let you know here. Isn't it T1? All right, well, we're going to go back to some more things, uh, little snippets I pulled from Facebook here. So this I thought was neat. So Lee, Lee Perkins posted that I finally got my Coco SDC today. A friend printed a case for me. Um, it's met and exceeded my expectations. He's running Dungeons of Daggerath with the disk patch, which I can now Z save to the disk image on my SD. Creating new disk images on the SD card and copying from DriveWire to SD, SD all from the Coco is a cinch. You got Robot Odyssey, Sinistar, King's Quest, and a lot more loading and working great. I haven't gotten to Flash functionality yet, but I would, but I will. Excellent product, Ed Snyder, and thanks for your effort you've put into it. Highly recommend the Coco SDC for anyone with a Coco. Right, so we have. Uh, We've got the uh, the box as it was received. 
Uh, we've got the bubble wrap. Here it is in its nice uh, anti-static bag. Here is, as you see, the Coco SDC. Now, this is a similar case. This is not the John Strong case, but there are a few other people who are making 3D printed cases as well for the Coco SDC. This is the one that says Tandy on the, on the front of it. And here we go. We are fired up with this SDC DOS 1.5. And uh, very cool. Yeah, so I mean, if you had to pick a Hall of Fame for products, modern Cocoa products, the Cocoa SDC, which we should, we should point out that it's Darren Atkins who created this. And uh, is it Atkins, Atkins or Atkinson? Yeah. Darren Atkinson, Atkinson is who created this. And, um, and Ed Snyder is the one who is, um, who is producing them, but Ed did not design it. Now here's a video from Ron Delvo. Hello there, it's Jay here from Jay's Vintage Oh, he, uh, he posted this. And today, um, I thought we would talk about a new way I've got to. So this is Dragon 32 disc loading using a Tandy Coco disc cart. So what was he doing here, Ron, when you posted this? He's gonna play a wave file to load into the Dragon? Well, he has a um, little um, pad there that he just loads wave files in but he has a uh, disc controller that he took and put a rom in and it, you can directly use uh you know the uh, controller right in the dragon and hook it up to a disc and use it okay and so it explains I... how he did it okay well it's 30 um, minutes so we probably won't the, play the whole uh, thing dragon like that Looks like he's got a, he's got a list of uh, different recordings there, wave files. So, you can skip through it. Where, where is there a good part I should skip through to get to the end, or toward the end is when he talks about his um, his dragon cocoa cartridge. Okay, so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to post a link to this in the um, I'm going to post a link to this in the YouTube chat, so if anybody's watching, they can see that. Um, so he's got a cocoa cartridge on here. There's Mr. Dig. Okay, I'm not sure where I'll be looking, what part I should, should be finding that in, but um, maybe people can just watch that on their own when they want to see it, because that's, uh, yeah, we got 33 minutes there. But that's pretty neat, though, that you can load um, uh, cassette things through. Uh, through. A, there is what is the name of that product for the Dragon? That that it's kind of like our Coco SDC, but it also loads cassette images and everything else. Is that is that the one he's talking about here? The Coco Discard, or is there a different name for it? That's the Moo. The Moo. How do you spell that? I think it's M O O. M O O. That's uh, that's uh, what's his name from Switzerland? Uh, Tormod. Tormod. Okay. I think so. M O O H, David Ladd says. Okay. Okay. So we had um, we had Paul Thayer on last night. Paul Thayer's been on a bit, so you know Paul Thayer's most recent game is called Timberman, um, and this is a new program he's working on. So this is kind of the framework for a game, and so here you would see um, you know some of the stuff on the side where you would see like if you had some extra weapons or power-ups, here's like your health and ammo gauge, here's your score, and then this dark space here would be the gameplay window, right? So his current thing that he's working on, he's, te he's teasing some images with us of some of the tiles and some of the characters he's working on. So that looks pretty cool. Um, and he did talk to us about it. I think I don't remember if it was after dark or when he was talking about this. So he did give us a little bit of the, the idea behind it. Now this was kind of... Um, uh, an interesting discussion where we got into 
what what high-res joystick is better uh, I don't remember all the details and I'm not qualified to speak intelligently about most things but anybody want to take this one and talk about some of these high-res offerings and why this discussion started to happen on this well the, the original Tandy high-res joystick interface was designed by Steve Bjork mm-hmm we can probably give you a lot more in the history on that than I could uh, but it was basically to give the high-resolution mice uh, coordinates that when you were running on the Coco 3 graphics mode, you could actually address pixel by pixel with the mouse instead of it jumping like eight at a time. And the people that, that did the original Coco Max had designed a cartridge to do 8-bit joystick reads for the mouse on the Coco 1 and 2 to give us a 256 by 192 resolution. And they also used it as a form of hardware protection to make sure you had that particular piece to be able to run the software. And so when they did Cocomax 3, they kind of did the same thing, and they made a, a derivative, I guess you would call it, Steve. I don't know if that's the right term. They actually bought high-res joystick interfaces and modified them. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. So basically, it was, it was uh, slightly incompatible versions, and then that's a switchable one that actually lets you switch between the two modes. Right. What it was is on my design, it allowed both joystick buttons to go through, but I needed some sort of trigger for the um, voltage pump on the interface. So I used the cassette to trigger that. Uh, what they did is they effectively took the line that was coming from the cassette and hooked it up to button number two coming from the Coco. Oh, so it just and needed one plug, but you lost your one, second button. One, one, And so what they would do is they would internally press on the PD, PDA, or excuse me, the parallel interface chip. They would send a logical... Uh, zero. Now, I have to admit, you really can't be using the keyboard when it's trying to read the joystick. Yeah. Because you'll get spurious problems. It's not that good for the Coco. But, um, yeah, I mean, it does work and like that. Now, I was talking to a few people last night in our usual, okay, or the so other night, in, in our usual chat on uh, Discord, and I may actually try and come up with some circuit boards so we can make some new high-res joystick interfaces. Cool. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a really small board. Uh, there's one chip inside there, LM3900. You can get those things really dirt cheap. And Have you fiddled you, them much with the uh, the software algorithm that John Kowalski and, and Nick Marantes did, the one that does it complete through software? Well, I did come out with something that was in Rainbow Magazine that was um, had to do with the mouse. And one of the options in the mouse was to give you software for uh, talking to the high-res joystick. Yeah, I remember that because you actually published it before the Coco 3 was out, if I remember correctly. So people Yeah, were... everybody kept on saying, what the, <clears throat> what the heck is a high-res joystick interface? Yeah, yeah, even back then, I was into self-promotion. <laughs> <laughs> I just Did wanted you... to mention, like, the, the, the routine that uh, Saw came on, and Nick, you can probably explain this better than I could. Um, I think it has to do with the timing of the bleeding of the caps and stuff like that, so that you can actually basically do in software completely with no hardware at all and, and get the high-resolution... Reading. Oh, sorry, I missed that. I'm just wondering, uh, could you give an explanation of how the high-res joystick routines that uh, Sock and you came up with, um, and now Eric's ported into ColorMax Deluxe, about how that how that works? Because it's totally software-based. 
That's right. Well, basically, uh, when the, the DAC changes values, when you change between one value to another, there is a degree of capacitance in the uh, circuitry. So the voltage doesn't actually go from one DAC value to another instantly. It actually has a slight ramp. Uh, it's a very quick, very short, but the idea is if you write software that can sample the DAC port fast enough, um, you can actually get a reading during that ramp from one voltage to another to get extra values in between, and that's how you increase the resolution of the, the joysticks. And that's that was all Softmaster's um, um, uh, doing. He, he came up with the idea, and I just when he told me about it, I just said, well, we should actually follow this up and make something of it. And I... I started coding it, and then he'd give me ideas, and uh, lo and behold, uh, we had a high-res joystick completely under software working, of which a few people have picked up on, and um, I think uh, John Strong has included a high-res software driver in one of his games. Yep, I'm uh, Eric, Eric Crickflow, mm -hmm. or whatever, um, has um, get the Colormax person, He's actually Pat got a version of Colormax um, Deluxe patch to use it, so you don't need a high-res interface. And it seems to work just as good as a high-res interface. If anything, I think it's a bit faster as well. So it's as I as I uh, promoted it, it's the high-res interface we always had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my only concern with that technology, and I've seen it used, is there can be a little bit of jitter. And, yeah, well, yeah, and and the my system can have jitter too, but I recommend the software design that you use the V blank to trigger the reading off the joystick interface. And the reason why you do that is these old CRT monitors they made quite a bit of frequency noise and that would affect things such as the value coming out of the joystick. And by you reading it at the same noise level, because the CRT goes through a loop that's based on 60, time, 60 times a second, by reading it at the same moment of the noise, you removed a lot of the jitter. Yeah. But if you're constantly reading the joystick to see where that change comes in to get those extra um, bits, we'll just call it extra bits, um, I don't see how you can synchronize with the monitor. No. Is is there much jitter? I haven't noticed much jitter with the software routine at all. Because mm -hmm. um, this via software, it actually does provide some degree of software softening, mm -hmm. you could say, uh, that would uh, eliminate uh, a lot of that jitter. Yeah. Well, your, your way of doing it, too, is based on the fact that they're added at a capacitor at some point in the production of the Coco's Life to yeah. the joystick to help remove the jitter. And then yeah. I explained to them that the jitter was coming from the noise in the environment, not the noise on the joystick, per se. And the RF shielding helped a lot. Uh, not having the monitor sitting on top of the Coco helps with the 60 hertz jitter. Yeah. Hmm. And why? And why did Tandy do this? Just a quick flashback. Why didn't Tandy? <laughs> Why didn't Tandy pursue a serial port-based mouse? The first version 
uh, the high-res joystick interface, or actually it was a mouse interface, was the um, a design that I came up that, see, at that time, there was no serial mice. All you uh-huh. had is mice that sent tracking information similar to a trackball. Basically, you got pulses coming in, and based on which pulse came in before the other, that meant you're either going left or right or up or down. And yeah. you had to read that. Well, my design for doing that meant that the interface would have been about $100. Wow. And they said, I don't think we can. Can you design anything cheaper? (laughs) (laughs) That's like the battle cry for Tandy. (laughs) And so I designed them something that would cost from $2.50 to make. Right. (laughs) That's a significant cost savings over $100. <laughs> a 98% well, reduction. When I say $100, I meant the, the final product Oh, the retail price would, would, be would have been $100. Okay, right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it just, uh, well, it also kind of gives you an idea of the markup that Tandy does. It costs $2.50 to build the interface, but they sold it for $10. That's 80% so, markup. Yeah, yeah. But see, hardware, you cannot be successful selling hardware unless you're making uh, 25% markup, which is the hardware costs 25% of the retail price. So 75% is your profit level. You see, mm-hmm. if, if it was going to be $100 for the original design, they could have just given a free MC10 and have that as a little microcontroller just to drive <laughs> the <them off. laughs> And they would have finally had a use for it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Disney Saints fan says, if you come out with a new high-res interface, I am interested. So there you go. It's your well, first what, customer. My, my plan is I'm going to come out with just the circuit board. And then it is up to the person to build it or in the community to build it for those folks. So I'll design it. I'll come up with the circuit board. I'll come up with the list parts. And then it becomes a community open source project. Oh, neat. After all, I can't make money on this. That's cool. That's cool. Um, There was one more thing I wanted to show from the news, but it's about a seven-minute video, so I just went ahead and put a link to it in the description. But I'll show the video off real quick because I thought it looked kind of cool here too. But um, Ed Snyder had posted a video on how to add um, a sound uh, output modification to the color computer. So it says, installing a simple... Audio jack on a Coco 2, a jack, two wires, a 1UF cap in series provides sound out for driving external speakers and such. Specifically added here to provide a sound for a Coco VGA installation. So one of the things about the Coco VGA right now is that because it only... Um, because it only outputs VGA and doesn't output audio, if you wanted to get audio output too, you would have to do the composite mod that also gave you like you know um, audio and video out and here he's just showing a real quick and easy way to get audio out from your coco so for somebody who wants to either put like a headphone jack on your coco for external speakers or if you um, want to get the coco vga and want to get audio out without the additional expense of the composite mod this video might be for you and i did put a link to that um, in the youtube channel here so uh, I'm, I'm gonna save us from watching the whole video just for the sake of brevity so for those who are interested um, go ahead and click on that 
Uh, what is Paul saying here? Anyone happen to see Sockmasters mentioned in the Engadget King of Kong article yesterday? Now I have not, but um, you guys, you guys know what's going on right now with a lot of these high scores being challenged and being debunked and all that kind of stuff. Um, I started off with one of the things where, and I believe the Coco Crew mentioned this many months ago, but a guy who had the best score in the Atari or Activision Dragster game had like the world record. Uh, for the time or the score or something and then somehow recently that's come under scrutiny and I think somebody used computer learning to analyze the source code to see if it was even possible and came up with some type of scientific method that said no this isn't possible and they're and they're kind of trying to defame this guy and I think that's now had a ripple effect and a lot of these world records now are somehow being disputed or debunked and of course now Billy Mitchell uh, the King of Kong uh, supposedly something's going on with that. I haven't caught up on that article, but you guys keeping up with this? I, I did read the article because actually Sockmaster's mentioned by name as being one of the people that possibly came up with proof that one of Billy's, or more than one of Billy's, was actually done on MAME secretly when he sent the recording in because there's certain refresh things on the screen that are slightly different between the real hardware and MAME. Okay. And I guess he did some analysis on it and said, yeah, this looks like this is a MAME recording, which means it could have been, you know, the most software could have been modified to make it slightly easier, who knows what. So, yeah, that's uh, the big stink is that they might be pulling some of Billy Mitchell's records off the official books. But just because it might have possibly been done, is there any proof that anything, you know... The, the thing is, problem. Steve, this is the problem right now, is they didn't want to use MAME because you can't control the hardware. Maybe it's a little faster. Maybe it's a little slower. So they would do special categories for people playing on MAME that wasn't part of the world records. But nowadays, you can go to websites, get all the source code to these games, burn your own ROMs. You could be working on original hardware unless somebody inspected that motherboard and knows that ROM is an actual factory ROM and not an EEPROM. It's the same thing on real hardware. So they kind of, they've already lost this war. If somebody wants to cheat, unless you're doing it in person with an expert on that board, somebody's going to be able to cheat. Well, the record should only come from a sanctioned uh, event. And that's where they can verify everything. And we've got an event coming up in about a month or two out here in Los Angeles where they've got hundreds of pinball and video game machines all from that time period. And it's an absolute incredible event. But they do have officially sanctioned. I mean, you've seen that one guy that goes around. He's the official referee since the 80s. He's he's, 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 from, he's from down the road. He's an Iowan. That was all. That all came out of here. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing everything right on this thing. The machines have been verified and like that. And for now on, that's the way it should be is if you want to beat the champion, you do it in an official event. You yeah, because they were having problems where people were sending in videotape recordings of some of these things, and they were taking those as real. You know, the guy would have a camera point to a Donkey Kong cabinet. And then, you know, set the camera up and play the game. But you have no idea what ROM he's got in there, if it's been modified in any way. Exactly. I mean, there's so many other official competitions. I mean, look at the uh, what they go through for, well, what's that, Guinness's Book of uh, World Records. There's a lot of stuff they on those things there that, well, they used to just have them send in the reports. But now they got to have a guy go out there and verify everything before they'll allow it to be the record. Yeah. yeah, I participated in one of those world record attempts, and it required a video camera set up really far away that covered all the people there. It had to run for like 10 minutes before and 10 minutes after. Uh, it was um, 
pretty ludicrous. And we didn't make it because some people in Germany immediately uh, beat it. So mm-hmm. it was for the most uh, number of people dressed in Star Trek costumes in the same spot. <laughs> I'm, I'm just waiting for Twin Galaxies to start a lowest score competition because I think Steve would just ace it. the only way to win is not to play yes (laughs) yes which got me thinking like uh, i'm going through the um cartridges in alphabetical order to do to do my new videos and the next one on the list now is checker king (laughs) and i'm thinking checkers isn't much different than tic-tac-toe in a sense there's more it's a bigger playing field it's a little bit more strategy but uh, I've never played the real game. I've never done a video on it, so I'm debating. Do I want to make a video on video checkers from 1980? <laughs> yes, you that do. If the, computer, if the computer plays against you, yes, you do, because it took my uncle, who actually knew checker strategy, just annihilating me multiple times for me to understand there were things you can do in checkers that basically make it a strategy, until you learn the strategy. Okay. So another game I'm going to suck at, basically. Uh. Excellent. <laughs> Just don't play it on a black and white TV because Dwayne Downing did that because he only had a black and white on his cocoa. And the checkers on both sides come out almost the exact same shade of gray. So yeah. once the play has started and you started mixing up between, you totally lost track of what the hell your own pieces were. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That makes it challenging. Yes. It's a memory uh, game at that point. Yeah, right? Yeah. All right, well, we're coming on two and a half hours in this episode here. I think we've covered a lot. Uh, I think there can be too much of a mediocre thing. So maybe we start winding down this episode. What do you guys think? Anything yeah, Anything else we, want, we need to touch tonight? Mm-hmm. Uh, I got yep. a lot of thumbs up for that, people watching at home. Um, we've already done a, a, a nighttime show last night. I don't know if we need to do a nighttime show tonight, but maybe we can have that this discussion offline and... Anybody watching um, right now, if you want more pontification, I'm going to put the email address out here. What is it called? It's called CocoTalk at CocoTalk.live. So if there is a, uh, a need or a request and, and people want to see more people talking ad nauseum, uh, send us an email. And uh, we're still trying to raise money for Timmy's wheelchair. If we get enough emails, maybe we'll do another show here for a telethon. Um, all right. So in in closing and conclusion, and before we even get to that, let's go back and let's look at who's been in the live chat. Let's say hi to the people who have been here with us from the beginning. So Disney Saints fan has been here. Steve Powell has been here. Norlander, Tim Franklin, Richard Cavell, um, Steve Bjork, and Mark Overholzer adding to the live chat. And uh, Nick Marota said, hey uh, Vocal Studio, one of, uh, you know, Bruce Moore's YouTube accounts are starting to become like David Ladd. He's got a handful of YouTube accounts. Um, Solstice John Linville of the Coco Crew Podcast was here with us. Uh, Supwitcha11 was here. Uh, and then Bruce Moore became Bruce Moore. So he switched from vocal to something to Bruce Moore. Uh, James Jones was here. Howdy from the land of pig. Um, Solstice, Nick Marota, Subwitcha, Coco Man, John Linville, Richard Lorbieski was here. Um, who else did we have in here that I'm not repeating right now? I David, David Ladd, Paul Fiscarelli. I don't think I've gotten that far yet. Yep, Tim Franklin, Solstice, uh, Coco Man was in here posting links. So Coco Man has posted the links to the composite capture, which works very well. Steve Mitchell, Steve Powell. Uh, Grant Leedy finally came in 
and he's with us. James Jones came by. Uh, Richard Lorbieski, John Linville, Alexander Wallace from Mexico is here, Paul Fiscarelli, uh, Curtis Boyle, Paul Fiscarelli, Tim Franklin. All right, good. Mark Overholzer. So there we go. We do. <laughs> so David doesn't have a ton of accounts, maybe just a ton of personalities. But yeah, now Bruce is getting into um, multiple YouTube personalities here. All right, so for those of you who watch, and I think last the one of the times I peeked over, I saw we had like 26 people watching us at the same time. So thank you that for that, guys. Thank you for watching. Thanks for being here every week. We appreciate that. Ron Delvaux, any parting thoughts? Anything you want to plug? Sorry, I was you sleep. You sleep at the switch. You're breaking up on us. I didn't quite catch you, Ron. All right, I think he's in a drive-through right now. Uh, yeah, that that bandwidth in that garage. You got to really do something. <laughs> you need to get some of your observatory technology over there. You run we a hard line from his house. We, we yeah, we can't make we can't make you out, Ron. We'll we'll get back to you in a second. David Ladd, parting he, thoughts. Oh, jeez. I don't know. <laughs> I've been playing with my TDP one hundred over. Here. Ah, okay. There you go. Tandy Data Products. Nice little machine there. Am I gone? You're back, gone. Ron. You're back, Ron. You're back. All right. Mark Overholzer, parting thoughts, anything you want to plug? Oh, I'm just really excited Hi, about guys. Alan's project with the uh, ESP8266. I've been really interested in networking and games and stuff, so he's getting some traction on that, and I'm working on some stuff, too, with the bigger module, the ESP32. Nice. So. Very nice. Curtis Boyle. Well, I'm getting busy with work these days. I'm not working on the ease of use project as much as I'd like, but uh, Alan was gracious enough to send us a copy of Towel, which will be included in the distribution. I actually got it installed and give it a quick run. Now I have to design an icon for it because apparently he and his lazy ass never did in the past. Um, and also I'm going to try to get uh, Wayne Campbell's decode. I did find there's a couple of bugs, but, but we do have it working now for the most part. So I'm going to see if I can help him hunt down those bugs and that'll be part of the next distribution as well in case you want to take somebody else's pack. Uh, basic nine code those sources have been lost over the years to be able to recreate it sorry alan you're about to say something no the irony of you wanting a multi-view icon for a windowing environment i wrote specifically for people to not have to use multi-view <laughs> it's like coco inception <laughs> irony can be pretty ironic sometimes uh, Richard Lorbieski in the Witness Protection Program. Any parting thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> the usual. Yes, uh, the usual. Hey, Richard, by any chance, would you like to hear my rap song? No, I, I, I don't <laughs> have any gasoline on me, so I'm sorry. <laughs> and, I'm and just going to start calling Richard Troll Jr. here since yes, Jim hasn't yes. been around. The troll and, apprentice. That's what it is. And, and it just, just so you know, I did not. I like the rap song, but I did not make it. That was a Myro production, and he's a talented man. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, Jason the Coco Man. Any parting thoughts? Things to plug? I have not seen or heard the uh, the aforementioned rap song, and maybe that's a good thing. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that. Uh, I'm going to continue to uh, play with my uh, video project here and see what I come up with. And uh, hopefully I'll have some things to post up on uh, CocoMan.org in the near future. Nice. Very good. Steve Bjork. 
Well, as usual, uh, you can catch a lot of us hanging out every night over there on Discord. If you haven't been over there, go on in. You can use uh, your web browser. You could download the client for your um, cell phone or uh, computer. There you go. Did I catch everybody? I think I did. Right. So for all things Coco Talk, Nick, uh, I don't think Nick, you caught oh, Nick. Oh, you're off my screen. You're back on my screen now. I'm sorry. And the, the, the icons shifted around. I was trying to follow the order of the icons. When people hung up, they, <laughs> they changed order. Nick Morantes, parting thoughts, things to plug. Yeah, um, yeah good show. And uh, the only thing I've got planned to do this week, um, well, sort of Coco-wise, is uh, I've, un I've managed to unbox or locate my... MC10. <laughs> I am going to take to it out back myself. and shoot it. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to torture myself this week and actually unbox it, power it up, just to remind me why I put it. <laughs> I dug it. <laughs> I, I hit it. <laughs> then he's got a door after that. He needs a prop. That's right. Uh, and then a door he needs a jar. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's all. Thank all you. Right. Excellent, excellent. All right, so I would just like to say again, thank everybody for being here, both our panel who shows up every week and the people who watch us and, and join us in the live chat. Uh, for all things Coco Talk, you can visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. You can send a feedback to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. And you can also get some cool shirts like the ones that Mark Overholzer and I and Alan Huffman and Grant Leedy are wearing here. You can get Coco Talk shirts and I'm a Coconut shirts and coffee mugs, T-shirts, prophylactics, adult diapers, you name it. Uh, you can get all those at our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. So on that note, we're going to play us out right now with the Coco. And look at it, Curtis Boyle's got his travel mug there looking dapper. We're going to play Ooh. us out with the Coco mug, uh, Coco mug, the Coco talk outro music that's put, put together for us by Bruce Moore. And we may or may not see you guys tonight. Uh, send an email to Coco talk at Coco talk live. If you want more uh, of this insanity, take care guys. We'll see you next week for sure. Coco forever. Later, all. Later, everyone. Later. Bye. Bye-bye. Later. Thank you for watching Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. If you love the color computer like we do, then visit imacoconut.com for all your color computer needs. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, then visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash Coco Talk would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Rick Adams, Rom Delvaux, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Nick Marentis, Karen Anscombe, Simon Jonason, Wayne Campbell, Steve Batson, Brian Joyce, John Strong, and Barry Nelson. Special thanks to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and Brian Joyce for our Best of 2017 episode. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its contributors. The Coco Crew Podcast at cococrew.org. Glenside Color Computer Club, host of Coco Fest at glensideccc.com. Jim Brain and Retro Innovations at go, the number four, retro.com. 
Tandy Assembly at tandyassembly.com. Cloud9 Technologies at cloud9tech.com. Boyson Technologies at boysontech.com. Tell me why you 